I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 To the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I am Tom, just full of stories, like a various cornucopia of knowledge. Bionic. And? And? I'm just plain Emmett Brown. <laughs> wow. We're in for a special treat this week, Futurians. As we're back for another Future Quake Show, we not only have Dr. Future and your, your beloved Tom Bionic, but we have. The ghost of Future Quake Past with us, the one, the only Emmett, has come back from the Precambrian days of uh, <laughs> yep. prehistoric days of Future Quake, and uh, I just want to say it's a pleasure to uh, get you here in the studios for Future Quake. Well, swing that mic around here. We're, we're running on two mics. It's like good to days. be here. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll. Uh, I want to hear more than that. What's been going on with you in the 30, 40 years since you've been on Future Quake? Um, I've gotten married. Yeah, and uh, I've been going to grad school, and I've also changed jobs at the same time, so I'm working a lot more. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm still married, which is good mm-hmm. with the going to school and changing right. jobs. So right. I've, I've managed to maintain that. Yeah. So. And if I understand, Mrs. Emmett is also sort of a Futurian too. She, she is. She is. Uh, she and her mother actually uh, keep in contact with your radio program through the internet and they still let you on (laughs) my wife actually keeps me up on the updates she's like did you listen the other day (laughs) yay so well you know that's so common with the futurians how just all of our extended families all agree with us on our views and future quake right not that they'd ever see us as nuts i'm sure it it brings families together that's right you know future quake you know, <clears throat> rarely will you find people who have disagreement with the positions here on Future Quake. Pretty much never. Swing around there, Tom. What, what's what's going on in your world, brother? Before we get rolling here, man, I had the I had the just the coolest conversation with uh, a couple of different people uh, Monday. Uh, a friend of the show, uh, he went and he watched a video on uh, like homelessness in America, mm-hmm. and he sat there and he got done. And he said, "Wow, that was pretty depressing." I gotta go do something about that. Okay. So he went out, he bought a bunch of food, and just drove downtown and was handing it out to people in the park, praying with them, handing Bibles away. Just a totally, just, you know, didn't need any organization, mm-hmm. didn't need a, a, a thing to go tell him what to do. And uh, it was, it was cool, man. It was really inspiring, mm. you know? And he said, the Did he have any kind of senior. Theological leadership people that could organize it for him, or me? what denom- any <laughs> denominational about, support? Nobody organized it. Yeah. It what about him. board of directors? Do you have any board of directors no. overseeing? Okay. No, no. He just. I'm surprised he anything just, could be done without he that. He drove kind of down. Oversight. He drove down to the nearest grocery store and he bought a bunch of Cliff bars and the little like the the crackers and and the little little spray cheesy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like in the little packages and that and then I like Powerade or something I was handing them out to people. Mm-hmm. And the coolest thing was was when he was talking about sitting next to this homeless guy and uh, giving him some food and talking with him. And I guess the homeless guy really knew the Bible. Yeah. And he asked him, and he said, what verse are you living? And he said, well, I would have to go with uh, abiding, you know, abiding in, in, mm-hmm. in the Lord, you know, John 15. And he went, that's a good one. You know what, man? You're all right. 
all of these other people out here will give me a sandwich when I, and all this other stuff, but none of them will come down here and sit on the sidewalk with me and pray with me. Wow. And uh, I was like, that's pretty cool, man. Wow. That's pretty cool. Wow. So. I'm, that is cool. Yeah. Praise you, brother. Thanks for your example out there. Mm-hmm. I hope you were able to pray and bless over like the cheese whiz, so it just kept coming out without running out. Yeah. Well, we didn't can. want to poison them, so he kind of he went okay. with the, went more for the Cliff Bars, but okay. You know. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It was cool, man. Any any else uh, like tongues of fire come down or anything else like that? Well, he this did week? he did pray over a hamburger and it turned back into a cow. But other than amazing, other than that. Well, I'd, no. I'd be relieved it turned into a cow instead of some other chimera that it came from. <laughs> it turned back into a vat of chemicals. Uh-huh, a test tube. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was cool. All right. Yeah, it was good. Well, I've had a couple interesting incidents, too, I'll tell you, since we're getting this uh, off the air. Let me first, before I forget, um, normally we'll say who all has bought our two-book set, which mm-hmm. is still available. We're backordering until the end of the month. The two-book set with Judge Napolitano's uh, Lies the Government Told You mm-hmm. and also Andrew Hoffman's uh, The New World Order and the Eugenics Wars. It has a, a fancy sleeve with with us fighting the New World Order, you know, in there. Yeah. And something's not sold in stores, except it will be sold in the Branson store for the Branson Conference. Yeah. But, but, uh, you suppose we should, well, I'll talk to you about it off anyway, the air. Uh, we've got, they're going to be available there, and uh, we have a couple back order, but we'll get them to you by the end of the month. Mm-hmm. But uh, we didn't have any of those this week, hmm. nor our, our regular donations this week. So no, no donations. You and I must be booked. slipping. Yeah. So there'll be no diapers for the kids. Yeah. You know, let's <laughs> put extra water <laughs> in the to, soup this week. I used Tom. to play with this band where we, you know, the, everybody was a little bit off in the band. And yeah. The uh, guitar player, if there were the CD sales were short, he'd get up on stage and he'd say, "You know, I'm going to go home, guys, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to go home tonight, and I'm going to have to face a bunch of hungry kids, and they're going to go, food, daddy. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to look down on them and say, not today, Bobby, mm-hmm. because the nice people didn't buy any CDs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know." I'm just hoping, you know, the Lord doesn't call us home like uh, yeah. Oral Roberts, you know, like after this week. Jesus in his yeah. brain. So anyway, yeah. enough, enough said of that. Yeah. Um, uh, two interesting things. One is tomorrow I'm going to be having a conference call, which, as you would expect it, with uh, some folk at Cape Town. Uh, and uh, there's some discussions about maybe having a little satellite show over there, Future Quake. That city. Uh, I don't mean to be uh, presumptuous. We'll see what shakes out of that. So I mm. hope I'm not spilling the beans. But anyway, uh, some, some friends of the show are oh, okay, thinking about it. spreading stuff of what we're doing. So we'll see. And that has nothing to do with what we prayed about a couple of weeks ago. This is a whole a whole different animal here. Mm-hmm. So well, whatever anyway, people are praying, they need to keep praying it because we're just hoping this will become an international force to be yeah. reckoned with. It'd be I, like the IMF on steroids. Yeah. You know, you know, there's another. Uh, well, I'll talk to you about it off the air. There may be yeah. another development going on. With uh, uh, spreading the message. Really? Yeah. Okay. It's a, a little bit smaller message than the other Message being one, gospel message? Yeah. The, well, the, yeah, the future quake gospel okay. going out good. forth. And, well, I can't wait to hear that. You know. That's good. Uh, the other thing of interest before we get into our stories, I thought you'd be interested to hear, mm-hmm. is that this past Saturday uh, I was in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, mm-hmm. and not only um, got to be with Robert Hyde, Mm-hmm. Uh, for some coffee and dessert, but also with a missionary that I've been following for a really, really long time. 
that works over in the Middle East. And uh, this guy's been a hero of mine. And uh, I've followed his his work for a long time. He used to set up churches in Africa. You know, the, the classic missionary that would be on a bicycle going from one village to the next, you know, mm-hmm. in their huts and taking Bibles and mm-hmm. planning new little hut missionary churches yeah yeah and uh he did that for a long time and raised up other missionaries and got them doing it and now he's been over in the middle east and particularly working with muslim culture and things like that Mm -hmm. and has taught me a whole lot and in fact some of the opinions reflected on the show have been some things i've learned from you know his work Mm -hmm. in the field and uh, in fact he's led i don't know how many people to the lord uh, in the muslim field and has really impacted them but I will tell you this after having talked with him. The kind of extreme positions that we have shared on Future Quake are nothing compared to what he's observed. Uh, wow. we're, we're soft peddling, uh, particularly the mistakes the American Christians are making. Well, maybe we need to have him on the show. Uh, well, there's some sensitivities there because sure. well, of could we, we could his maybe position. Maybe we back mask his, his voice. Or <clears throat> well, we'll see. I, I'm in, in discussions, as they say, in negotiations, yeah. but... Um, he's a very, very inspirational person. He's motivated by love mm-hmm. and respect, including respect for Muslim peoples. And because of that, he doesn't want to exploit them with some mm-hmm. of the stupid stuff that Christians do. Well, in there's fact, no shortage of that. In fact, he's told me, this is very much like Carl Madera says, he says, you can't eat. The, we have over here in America have soiled the Christian name so much mm-hmm. with the stuff that we do. Yeah. And the harm that we don't see because we're immersed in it here, uh-huh. that they have to even be careful using the word Christian. They have to just focus on being disciples of Jesus. Wow. Okay, and follow Jesus because when they think of Christian, they think of people dropping bombs on strangers' heads and doing other kind of stuff that we talk about here on Future Quake. Hmm. And so when the rubber meets the road, when you're really immersed in those communities it's and people. But you know what he finds? I'll tell you this too, just real quick, is that surprisingly... Living in communities of Muslims on their turf, mm-hmm. nobody has expressed that they want to kill him. Uh, he has no indication. Yeah. Mostly, the terrible things they do to him are things like bring him gifts over to his house yeah. for his family Coffee and stuff, and the uh, you know baklava. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, maybe even have an imam watch kids, you know, on their behalf or vice versa. Huh. You know, or or do things like this. So that's some of the terrible things they've observed. You know, it's interesting. Your uh, uh, the commentary about 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 the dropping of the bombs and stuff and all that. Um, uh, recently, uh, this gentleman named named Victor Chris White did a show and he's done some follow up mm-hmm. shows and different programs. He was talking about one of the things that happened with him is that the Lord sort of called him out into the wilderness, right? Mm-hmm. And you could make the vague analogy that whereas most Christ, most of Christianity today goes to church and stuff. Like it's like they're showing up to practice in a sense. They go to church on Sunday and maybe Wednesday night. Like, mm-hmm. like he's playing the game. Yeah, you know. Right. And uh, one of the things that he talked about was uh, he really felt uh, he had a heart to go and just interact with people at, at like gay pride parades and stuff. You know. Yeah. And uh, he said he showed up to the latest one and there was. Uh, a group of a group of people with signs and stuff, and they're having the signs mm-hmm. and they're waving them around. And everybody's angry and uh, they're saying, you know, gays are going to hell and God hates them and everything. And there's a police, like a line of police that have surrounded these guys. Yeah. And he's like, oh man, how am I going to deal with this? And he he said the interesting thing was just going up and talking to people. 
mm-hmm. you know, uh, just, you know, he'd go up and start talking to some people and go, man, I really hate those guys over there. It's, that's really that's that's really hateful what yeah. they're doing. And they'd go, yeah, I know. We hate Christians. And he'd, well, he'd go, not so fast. You know, like, well, I'm a mm-hmm. Christian. And he'd go, oh, well, you seem pretty cool. And yeah. then start talking with him and, and yeah. had some, he's had some amazing experiences like that. And one thing I've noticed, uh, uh, one thing I've noticed is the whole, the whole key to this. One of the things uh, Christians do uh, that's bad is they tend to unmake other people. And that's exactly opposite mm-hmm. what Jesus would do. Like, what do you mean to make? Well, if you and I were talking and we came to a position, came to a point where we just couldn't, mm-hmm come to uh, an agreement, I would subtly, you would subtly, uh, I would start building negative ideas and negative thoughts and stuff about you almost to the point where I didn't like you anymore. And in some sense that you weren't really, it's, it's, it's difficult to explain, I guess. Dehumanize me? That would be a very good way. Mm-hmm. Very, that would be almost exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, you would sort of dehumanize me and at some point you would sort of cease to be you know, Doctor Future, mm-hmm. and once that happened, it's and like, the other well, the other thing too is that you could make me and other people who might share a similar opinion to me, although we may have many differences, you can make us all one monolithic group, uh-huh. and then you can take You're the a worst. You're yeah, a they. Well, you can take the worst <laughs> attributes of every person in that group and make an amalgamation of the worst attributes yeah. of these and, and apply them to it. all of them. Yeah, and just well, hate and apply them yeah. to all of them. We need to know? get the they. You yeah. know, right. they all walk in lockstep and, you know, mm-hmm. they all work 20 hours a day making scimitars and mm-hmm. they're sort of more of a hive mind, you know, right. they, That's the right. dishdasha and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've noticed that, like, I started thinking about, well, okay, so unmaking people, who all have we unmade? And I made a long list. Yeah. You know, that the, uh, uh, the, the Christianity has historically unmade. Christendom, I guess, might be a better way to say that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um. That was a fascinating discussion because. Um, How about liberals? Want to make them liberals? We need to get them. You know. You, we, you, All that compassion they have—that's from the devil. It's. <laughs> <laughs> it's that devil compassion for poor people. They, they're loving people through Beelzebub. <laughs> that's right. Um, no. I, Another interesting. Do you think we should publish the list of hatred maybe on the front of futurequake.com so well, people could see the notice, the top ten list of people, people hate, groups we people hate, to hate, or they yeah. should hate, or and then we could put some Bible people. verses next to us where Jesus tells us to hate them. Yeah, you know, I know. So we have biblical Column mandate. one would be long. Column two would be non non-existent. Yeah. Unfortunately, the example where Jesus hated them or judged them as a people group. Yeah, you know, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, Emmett's awful quiet over there. You've you've. Come on, wait on in. You can do your damage, and then you can get out like high plains drifter. Uh, I'm afraid to end your listenership by some of the comments that I would make, so that's why I'm keeping my mouth shut. Well, you're you're to blame for a lot of my. You know, I used to be much more hardcore the other direction. You always had your little jabs in there in the early days to well uh, get me thinking before I shouted you down. I, yeah, I'm tempted to name some specific <laughs> groups, you know, like the ACLU and all the stuff, you know, that you mm-hmm. see on normal television that they're complaining about. People defending people's rights. Yeah, yeah anybody yeah. that defends people's rights and, you know. Right. Of course, there's probably specific ones that you might, logical people might disagree mm-hmm. with, but how not about, everything they do. How about Americans for the separation of church and state? How's those other ones? Those are terrible people. Yeah. Those are terrible people. Well, people wouldn't want merge government and religion. 
wrong with them? I'm still mad at the liberals myself. Are you the liberals? Yeah. yeah. You can't trust them. Yeah, the compassionate liberals are the, the ones I hate. Yeah. And the compassionate conservatives, they're almost as bad as compassionate conservatives. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That's right. We've had a lot of compassionate conservatism. Just look at the people of Iraq. Ask them. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think to be fair, I think I think to be fair, that was that. Uh, there's a there's a uh, there's a coup going on. We're in the middle of a coup that has gone on and perhaps has already gone on, except it's a philosophical coup. You talking about in future quake or in no, the country? No, no, okay. in the country. Yeah. There's a philosophical coup always going right. on in future quake. It's always unresolved. <laughs> like like wearing a, a philosophical crash helmet here. Right, That's we're in the need. chaos phase yeah. perpetually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we're like the Hundred Years' War. Yeah, but no, no, the, the, Straussian, the Straussian ideal that... Uh, uh, you know, a lot of the things that we've touched on, you know, that it's like it's sort of somehow it's okay to hate people at a certain point and, you know, asking things like, well, what about the Muslim question? And mm-hmm. and uh, inventing enemies in some cases where they just freely admit, you know, look, we got to invent enemies and, you know. You uh, cannot sell weapons if you don't have enemies. Yeah. yeah. You're going to make a defense contractors in a Maytag repairman. Well, I wanted to do a show on this for a while. I just haven't had a chance to do it, but get it all together. But. You know, Leo Strauss, I've mentioned on the show, you know, one of his philosophical points was the reason that people, uh, uh, the reason that the people who rule rule is that they understand that uh, morality is sort of a, a fleeting thing and that in the absence of, in the absence of an external threat, it's okay to invent an internal threat to keep the, keep the mm-hmm. country together and keep the, keep the populace rulable. Mm-hmm. And, well, and, and he even, is the father of the neoconservative right, you know, movement. That's right. And uh, which was interesting. These people came from the Democratic Party. Now they're in the Republican Party. I'm not sure where the, they came the history from. of the neocons. Yeah, almost mm-hmm. all were were Democrats that became Republicans. But uh, but their big thing was like again identifying the threat. You know, that's mm-hmm. the, the key thing that they're mm-hmm. known for. Uh, we probably need to get into some stories here. Yeah, now, uh, we've, now we've rambled, and there's been a million radio dials that have went to the off position. That's exactly right. Yep. Yep. Westboro Baptist probably won't be coming on now. Speaking of that, I didn't get an article of them, but evidently the FBI has has hired them or brought them in to help them. Westboro Baptist is helping the FBI. What? To do what? Yeah. Um, they're trying to learn more about their mindset and... What motivates them to do the things they're doing and to help them? Um, there was an article I found on it, but they actually were being brought in by the FBI, and it was sort of interesting to the Westboro Baptist people too. <laughs> so, hmm. anyway, so maybe they're the latest contractor, government contractor. I was going to say, are they gonna, FBI going to make and try and sort of propagate that view amongst the populace? Or? Well, I think what you have to start asking yourself is after we found that. The, that right-wing fascist radio, what was that guy's name that got busted for being an FBI guy recently? Oh, my gosh, I can't remember. He, he's come on Sean Hannity, and yeah. he's tried to get on other kind of shows. Anyway, he was busted, as you know, for being an FBI informant. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to wonder how many of our institutions like this are yeah. riddled with like them. Like, who's, who's really on the payroll behind the scenes? Well, I mean, a great example of that is, is Walter Cronkite. He's right. the most trusted name in America, and right. he was on the... Right. You know, he was on the dole there for years. Well, and, uh, you know, in my talk in Branson, which we forgot to mention the uh, future Congress conference mm-hmm. in Branson, uh, you're giving two talks, I'm giving two talks. Mm-hmm. 
22nd to the 24th of July, so we're two weeks city. out, basically. Yep. Uh, I'll be... Sh- I've got start on my talk. It'd be a good idea to get started, yeah. I've got a little bit of information about how the FBI and CIA have bought into theological groups and different kind of guys. I've got wow. there's rabbis, Mormon preachers and leaders, and, of course, our own who have actually been outed as having been on the FBI payroll. Mm-hmm. So you've just got to wonder how big... I mean, if Chuck Barris, the guy who hosted the gong show, created, could be a primary FBI agent, why yeah, put any of these... I thought I was going to say, didn't he? Uh, Chuck well, Barris, yeah. There's, there's been some rumblings that Bob Hope, of all people, was a uh, was an MK Ultra handler in his later later in life. That I don't know. Yeah. Bob Hope. Uh, you know? I yeah. don't know. Very. Nothing would surprise me at this point. Yeah, we don't like to cover extreme stuff on Future Quake, though, so we're going to have to move on here. Uh, who's, uh, do you want to go with the story first? or Do you want to do rock, paper, scissors? No, just pick it. Okay, I'll pick one. Bequeathing to you. I All was right, here. hoping you were going to tell All me right. to go first, but that's okay. Yep, well, sometimes things don't just work out the way you're supposed okay. to. Emmett, just hoist over that microphone <laughs> and add your two cents. And yep. Okay, um, don't be a silent watcher there. Don't We don't want, like, Nephilim watchers. Over humanity, we want you to dive in. So, mm-hmm. okay. So here's an interesting. Uh, it's tough. I've got two really good stories, and I didn't know which one to go with. But uh, this is sort of an as it's as it's an ongoing thing here that mm-hmm. I saw. I saw this morning actually, um, and it's from uh, uh, Carl Denninger over at MarketTicker.org, mm-hmm. um, and the title of the article. Uh, it's a, it's a blog post, so it's very. Mm-hmm. You almost might say a little tongue in cheek. But the, the the title of the article is very serious. It's, Did Treasury Just Strategically, uh, in parentheses, intentionally default? Okay. Uh, and he says, because, boy, it sure looks like they did. Uh, in fact, it was yesterday. And he shows the, the DTS cash statement, uh, the daily cash statement for the, tra- for the Treasury. And uh, you'll notice intergovernmental holdings are, are $4 billion, uh, $600 million. Yeah, I had and, noticed that. Yeah. Uh, the closing balance the day before is the same as, as, as the day that it closed, hmm. you know, the day after. And he says, uh, note that the line did not move much. In fact, it went down. And it should have gone up a lot because the trust funds, he puts that in quotes, uh, you know, the Social Security and Medicare uh, that folks on the left keep bleeding about being money good and actual debt uh, had a coupon payment from the Treasury due yesterday. And it was not made. It was mm. not made. Uh, if it had been, uh, it would have. Uh, you would have seen it there on that line, and it would have blown the debt limit. And that, sir, is a default. It is instantaneously, and it instantaneously destroys the claim that such activity is not selective. What well, did that bondholder get their payment? Say that again. Did that bondholder get their payment? No. If it. No. So their check didn't it's, come in. So, uh, uh, according to everything that I could see, and nobody's talking about this, which is why mm-hmm. I thought it was a good story, it appears that it was a strategic default. Right. Okay. The bondholder did not get their payment. And uh, so, anyway, he goes on. Uh, he says that such claim, uh, such activity is not selective or if you per- prefer strategic, and it also destroys the argument that Medicare and Social Security trust fund debt uh, is subject to the 14th Amendment and is thus protected against the Treasury choosing to blow it off. By the way, if you're curious about how much this should ha- this this amount should have been, 
uh, you have to look at the June 30th, 2010 DTS statement of 90, where it's about 90 billion. Um, so anyway, I thought that was an interesting enough to to just sort of. Well, you know, Mrs. Here. Future and I have Treasury bonds, the actual bonds we own, because we don't trust the stock market. So uh, hello. Mm-hmm. So it, does that mean we're just not going to get our checks when they're due on the bonds? That's that's up to you, man. What um, day is this supposed to happen? This was no. This was June thirtieth. June thirtieth. So that was Thursday. Thursday. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, we've got uh, we've got Emmett doing some uh, research behind the scenes yeah, here I, for I us. Yeah. Here, I'll give you the story. You can check it out, man. We got Mr. CPA over there working on. Oh it. man, boy! I'll bet you this is, you're exactly the guy to to. Uh, confirm or well, deny this. We'll story. be ruined if this is the case. But then society be now. It's going to be hard to be a CPA when the government can't. If they don't, if they don't, bonds. if they don't pay their bonds and we have to foreclose, does that mean Mrs. Future and I like own a part of like the national parks or? Yeah, you own like an MX missile or you something. You own the geyser, you, you know. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, probably like an EPA super fund. You kind of have to ask them for a paint scraping for my CBM or something. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I saw on the TV. Uh, this guy that lives in one of those underground ones. Yeah, I think that I've seen that. That was so cool. It was it was huge. It opens the 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 roof opens. Yeah, I've seen that. Isn't but, that I mean, neat? it's beautiful though. It's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, what a place to have future quake, a post apocalyptic area. You know, even Stephen Quayle couldn't get that kind of protection. No, down there. You no, know, he'd I mean, be envious. It, it's you know, it's it's a strategic area. So if people decided to invade, you know, it's already sort of set up and yeah. you know counter. One of the one of the Living Dead movies, say people lived in that, and the zombies couldn't get down in there until somebody let them in. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, well, that'd something be to keep in mind. Perfect. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, since we just had Independence Day, yeah, yesterday at the time of this recording, uh-huh. I've got a number of stories that you know me. I'm an extremely patriotic person, mm-hmm. and I'm very, very much on America or nothing. So yeah, I've got got I've, some good stories on American exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. Well. I guess you could call it. This story is called "Why We Should All Believe in American Exceptionalism." Would that qualify for that title? Okay. This is from uh, Major General Patrick Brady. This is World Net Daily. Believe it or not, you know mm-hmm. one place I quote a lot. Yeah. And actually, uh, you kind of do. <laughs> General Brady is a guy who I just saw. He's got a blog. He's just starting another stuff. So he's going to make a full court press to be like the most patriotic of the guys. The Give most General patriotic. Boykin. Well, you know they all got a. Get the most speaking engagements for mm-hmm. being the most patriotic. Well, here, here's what he has to say in Walnut Daily. He says, Independence Day is a good time to reflect. And, and by the way, uh, I intend both of you to be the peanut gallery and to chime in on this, okay? So Sweetness. Feel free to make commentary during this. Independence Day is a good time to reflect on what it means to be an American. This very topic was central to President Reagan's farewell address. He, in fact, used those very words what it means to be an American, and pleaded with all of us to instill the answer in our question, in our children. What it means to be an American, of course, begs the question, are we exceptional? President Obama said he believes in American exceptionalism just as Brits believe in British exceptionalism and Greeks believe in Greek exceptionalism. He might have give, used a better example than the Greeks, but his point is clear. Exceptionalism is subjective. My home country is no better than any other. Exceptionalism is based on sentiment and can't be objectively measured. Hmm. I disagree. American exceptionalism is defined in the Encyclopedia of American Foreign Policy, 
which I don't know. Did you know that there was such a document? I, the, and, well, they I, sell them door to door. by the books. Encyclopedia of American the Bibles, and then a couple hours mm-hmm. later, the, uh, the Encyclopedia CF, of American CFR Foreign Policy. Yeah, Encyclopedia of American Foreign Policy is described there as a term used to describe the belief that the United States is an extraordinary nation with a special role to play in human history, a nation that is not only unique but superior. I do believe we meet that definition, that we are exceptional, that we are hardwired differently than other peoples. I believe we've played a spe- fluoride, of course we are. <laughs> well, I believe we've... Pl- corn syrup is... Yeah. Sorry. We've, we've played a special role in history, that we're unique and superior as a nation, and that we are a gift to the world. And that is just not a sentiment. I believe it's supportable by facts. Well, doesn't this, doesn't this sort of fail the idolatry test? You know, when you put something up. You mean above saying that we're superior? Well, no, putting because something of where above, we're born, because so of our putting race. something up above criticism, beyond criticism. Hey, I should start wrong. using that term. Yeah, I know. I, yeah. I came up with it myself. Yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> I'll just steal that from you. Let's hear the evidence. He's, I'm sure he's going to give us some, right? Okay, about why we're superior yeah. over other people in the world. Probably it's the words of Jesus. I'm guessing on why Americans are superior. Let me see yes, if that's Joseph it. Smith. Involved in this <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll find out. Anything's possible <laughs> in future questions. Hey, man, we've got a Mormon who's like the, the biggest spiritual leader of American Christians today, so better, better watch what you say there. How, how awesome is it, if I may, how awesome is it is, it, is that he's having a rally in Jerusalem uh, catering to Christians, and he's a Mormon. Like, the, yeah. the lead guy doing it is, he's like, right. come on, everybody, let's go. By the and, way... Jesus was a created being, and he went to the Indians. Yeah. Yep. And we can't find any evidence of it anywhere, but it's there somewhere. <laughs> well, he's there doing something about Israeli exceptionalism. Right? He's like a Hasbara. Mm-hmm. Embodied. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's get those facts. Okay. In fact, I believe that we are beyond exceptional. We are indeed the last best hope for mankind. America is. Okay, does anyone believe the Brits or the Greeks or any other nation is the last best hope of mankind? See, I would have thought it would have been Jesus. But I guess it's America. Does this guy claim uh, any sort of religious sort of... I, 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 well, we'll see. We'll get there, okay? Okay, this is Major General Patrick Brady, okay? Mm -hmm. I guess that's a two-star. Um... America America is exceptional because we are truly a courageous people, uniquely cor- courageous, a uniquely compassionate people, and a uniquely competitive people. And we have been good people. Because you know other people in the world are none of those. They're evil. They're n- they walk they, they work 20 not, hours a you day. You won't find an ounce of compassion outside a, these borders. Yeah, they all work 20 hours a day in a factory building. Yeah. Weapons to kill America. Yeah, this guy, he's speaking what a major part of the church in America sure. says, okay? No, 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 he's, no. he's just embodying it, okay? Alex de Tocqueville in the 19th century was the first to call America exceptional. He also said America is great because America is good. Goodness is the indispensable element of our exceptionalism and ties the three together. By the way, the other reason why people need to be familiar with this term is we have several of our political candidates on the Republican side using American exceptionalism as the cornerstone of their campaign. Mm-hmm. They have gone on the record and said that. One is Newt Gingrich, one is Rick Santorum, and now we just had Rick Perry talk about 
having people come to the shores of American exceptionalism. So you know, I heard this Glenn is the Beck centerpiece. Was moving to Texas. Yep. I can't. I, I wonder if he's there to help organize for Rick Perry. I wouldn't be surprised. Big New World Order. Well, the Bilderberg role. people told him yeah. he was picked. Sure. Okay. Um, a courageous. Be- okay. Here we go. Um, a courageous people. Americans agree with William James on courage. He wrote, "Evident through the shortcomings of uh, a man may be, if he is ready to give up his life for a cause, we forgive him everything." How, however inferior he may be to ourselves in other respects, if we cling to life while he throws it away like a flower, we bow to his superiority. What? Okay? Now, I want to read this again. Okay? Here's what he is talking about. He says, Americans agree with William James on courage. Here's what William James wrote. I don't agree with William James on anything, I don't believe. Well, here's what he says, okay? Evident... Though the shortcomings of a man may be, if he is ready to give up his life for a cause, we forgive him everything. However inferior he may be to ourselves in other respects, if we cling to life while he throws it away like a flower, we bow to his superiority. So he's saying that essentially it sounds like he's arguing that salvation comes to a person not through you know, through grace or Jesus or anything, but he's saying salvation comes for picking a cause and just uh, flinging yourself on it. Well, and by that definition, I would say a Muslim suicide bomber would fit his definition sure. of the yeah. superiority. Much better, much better than, than I could I could think of. A, sub, uh, a, a suicide homicide bomber would, would fit with this general's thing of showing the superiority because he's willing to die for his cause. Mm-hmm. Also, I would say a uh, kamikaze pilot, Japan, mm-hmm. yeah. also would be willing. It's much better than the person that shopped after 9-11 in order to be patriotic. <laughs> that what? <laughs> you know, President Bush at the time was talking to, you know, everybody go shopping. You know, yeah. Everybody, you know, be patriotic. Well, they've so, got to be up there somewhere. Shopping's got to be right underneath Sacrificing your life in terms of, you know... If you die in the shoe section at Saks Fifth Avenue, yeah. then maybe you're close to... Okay. Well, I would say probably not opting out at the TSA pat-down and letting them scan your body parts would be mm-hmm. another patriotic thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so you don't make waves. So, okay, so here we go. You, if you sacrifice your life, you're superior. Don't think about the content of what you're doing it for. Americans admire courage and believe that courage in all parts of our humanity, mental, physical, and spiritual, is the key to success in life. Life is not fair. We are not born equal, certainly not in terms of ability and opportunity. But Americans realize that in the manner which really matters, we are born equal. That is, in terms of courage. We can all, uh, we can have all the courage we want. You can't use it up. Americans know that they can go as far in life as their courage will take them and that God will give them all the courage they need. Once we are locked on to courage as the key to success in life, we understand that mediocrity and failure are the result of choice, not chance. Courage belies victimhood. American courage is also the source of most of the freedom in the world. Did you know that? American courage was the source of freedom in the world? That's interesting that, you know, you know, People like Roman citizens were very free, and uh, you know the Greeks, mm-hmm. the the Greek, uh, the non-helots. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the name of the social class, but there were a lot of, uh, although it was unequal, there were a lot of people who had various amounts of freedom. You know, thousands of years mm-hmm. before, 
the United no, States. No, there couldn't have been before America was around. Sort That's of, impossible. It's, it's a little like... A little like uh, you You're know. saying there was virtue before America came along and external to it? I know that it's a, you're, an amazing... You're, you're throwing rocks at this whole premise. Well, yeah. I would agree with him in that, in that sense, but I would say for different reasons than, than, than what... I would say that our interests aligned with free just happened to be that our interests aligned with or were aligned at the time. Okay. Not that they are anymore. Our American courage is the source of most of the freedom in the world. You would agree with that? In the terms of, I don't know, maybe American fear, but uh, in terms of uh, World War Two, in terms of how we uh, became involved, we had an interest in the war. We finished the war. Swing the mic around. I don't know if we can hear you there. Well, I mean, in terms of World War II, there we go. Now we I would say better. that the fact that we, you know, we joined in the World War, you know, became part of finishing the World War, I would say that there was a lot of people that gained freedom through all that, but I wouldn't say, but I wouldn't say that was the purpose of it. That's just a is side, it, side is, benefit. Is there something unique about American courage that creates freedom that other courage doesn't? Like the people that hid Jews in Denmark and places like that, would it be an inferior courage to they probably had American, American courage? courage? Like in a box somewhere, we airlifted it there. Yeah. It, it's a product you can sell at the store, I think, and and I think you can buy it. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I, I, when I read this, I thought about the incredible Corey freedom. Corey was actually an American, and so was, uh, you know, like all these other, all you know, Rochampa Padaya. Other people like or that. Chango Bhattati, yeah. yeah. He was well, American. I was just thinking about... He was airlifted there in India. The, the incredible courage that we showed, uh, you're talking about World War II, to the Japanese Americans, that our, our courage to be able to put them in the internment camps certainly increased their freedom quite a bit, you know. Like I, I, like I was saying, it's a side benefit, not a yeah. intentional thing. Yeah. Well, I, I, the impression I give here is that American courage is sort of a unique vintage that uh, world freedom has depended upon American courage. Of course, you know other people that aren't willing to stand up to the enemy. Didn't he sort of tip his hand earlier in the article and say it was like the thing? It was the the savior of the world or something like that? Right. And he adds further here. He says, it's the courage of our leaders, our people, and most of all, our military. But, you know, that's the real strength of America is our military. No, I do agree with that And that's what we talk about it all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. I do agree with that statement. That the military is our main strength in the world? Yes. Really? Yeah, I agree with that. I, uh, the mil- Without the United States military, we wouldn't be able to do all the things that we do. That's... Really? I mean, you, would, would, you say, would you say that it's because of our overwhelming compassion or something? I would think it's probably God's blessing. I would say God's blessing has helped us to have the things we have. The military might is not the main key to be able to have... Uh, you know, we we have been told that military might is the key to the solution of everything. Oh no, I'm not saying it's the key to any sort of solution. I'm just yeah. saying the reason we do the things we do is because we got a big military. Well, yeah, you're just saying it's a fact of life that yeah, oh, we I'm get not, a lot I'm of mileage out of it. It's positive. I'm yeah. just saying that yeah. we've got a bunch of tanks and they are effective right. in we get a lot of know, mileage out yeah, of it. Yeah, and helping people buy, helping people. Into a debt situation like our, Indonesia. Our, our military, in, in that thinking that you're saying, um, basically is the strong arm, but the muscle behind our economic forays in other countries. In other words, we push away to other countries. We know if they mess with us, we put some ships off the coast. United Fruit. Right. Guatemala, exactly. Exactly. PB Success. 
Operation Ajax, uh, Operation Piano Solo, right? Uh, Plan Solo. Uh, I mean, I could go on. Right. Uh, way, way, way on for a long well, time. Well, let me continue this here, okay? I'm often asked what the source of courage is. The short answer is faith. I've never known anyone with enduring repetitive courage who was not also a person of faith. It is well known that we are a nation of faith, and that explains the great courage of our people. It also explains their goodness. It was the confluence of Christianity and a desire for freedom that brought us the Declaration and the Constitution. It is the American Constitution, more than any other governing document, that unleashes the fruits of courage and what we call free enterprise, based in individual initiative unfettered by outside interference, which has produced unsurpassed prosperity. Okay, I'm going to agree with him on that. That courage makes uh, uh, our economic free enterprise system. Well, I'm, I'm going to say in the sense that our forefathers in the United States had those things. Mm-hmm. But I would not say that it's existent as much today. What's changed? We're just not as godly as our forefathers. Well, yeah, that's, that's yeah. one big thing. Yeah. Uh, we don't have... And Chris Pinto would debate some of the godliness of our I forefathers. Would, I would 100%. I said that facetiously. Yeah, okay. Well, I would say that the values that they had, not necessarily... Um, now, you could say that they came to the United States for freedom for themselves and nobody else, mm-hmm. which is probably true. Yeah. Probably slaveholding helped a lot, too, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, that... They had the courage to have slaves, which probably helped a whole lot too. You know, that made us that made us very wealthy. Very courageous of them. Yeah, even more, well, even longer than Mexico or any of the European nations, we kept slaves. Well, slaveholding though was it that was a drag that was on our real economy courage. though. They kept them, even though it was a drag on their economy. Yeah, slaving is pretty cheap labor when you think about it. The thing, very expensive though. I mean, you think it's cheap labor. It's like owning a product. Now, we could get some indentured servants, get them in here, treat them like garbage, yeah, and get a lot more out of them. That's the way to go. Versus a like slave. Like what we do down on the border, southern yeah. border. Yeah. You know, if you got a slave, you got to care for it. But it you takes know. a lot of courage to be able to exploit people like that, doesn't it? I'm not... I'm not in... I'm <laughs> it reaps the economic benefits. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes we have to go to Central America... Get our tennis shoes and clothes made, <laughs> and the courage we have to use to be able yeah. to make that. I mean, the just courage to drive in with a tank and force yeah. them. Just think but, about people like uh, you know the bankers up there and uh, well, like Rockefeller and J.P. Morgan. The cur- courageous. The courage that they show. Have you seen well, that guy's beard? He's got to be courageous. <laughs> I'm saying you got to be courageous to go up against a power that they did. Yeah. Unprecedented for British. people. Yeah. And the uh, the the inspiration that it was to the rest of Europe. Mm-hmm. So. I have a story that the Knights of Malta actually helped us. I don't know if you knew that. They were one of the big... I've got an article that shows that they were one of our big saviors in the French Navy. We've had some surreal cr- future quakes, but this one is quickly turning out to be the most surreal. Well, I don't know. I think I'm just losing it. Are people probably saying, <laughs> future slipped over the edge here. I he's, think Mike and I have switched positions a little bit. I think so. He's the... He's the cold, hard, right-wing extremist fascist. Yeah, he probably works for the SPLC and is reporting you. Yeah. He's created That's a monster. That's why mo- he's on his phone. He's, he's recording created, the things that you're saying. He's so created a monster. Yeah. Well, let me, let me go on here. Um, he says, Christianity taught that there's no liberty without morality. 
and that there are no little people. Each person's dignity was the equal of the booted and spurred who had saddled much of the world. Not sure what that meant. Uh, the God of Christianity was the source of our rights, not the robed and perfumed elite who declared and denied rights on a whim. You know, that's sort of funny. A lot of our founding fathers were sort of robed and perfumed elite. I was going to say, you know, doesn't that... <laughs> they're the wealthy landowners. Yeah. I'm not saying they didn't have virtues, you but I'm just big, saying... The big wigs on and stuff, the I, wig party. I wouldn't push that too much. Well, that's we hope in God. Uh, <clears throat> the uh, compassionate people, we are measurably the most compassionate people in the world. Americans give billions annually to charities at home and across the world. No individuals give more than Americans. We also adopt more children than the rest of the world combined. I've also got it, by the way, my next one, if I get around to it, is a top 20 list of of things that America is unique in, and you'll, you'll find it a unique list. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the rest of the story, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, who is at the forefront of every natural disaster on the planet? Who gives more for the medical needs and poverty of all people? A word of caution on compassion. Okay, he says, I believe there's danger in the promotion of unwarranted self-esteem, the shielding of children from the fruits of failure. Failure is healthy. It is a necessary stepping stone to success. Here, this is a general talking, okay? When we subsidize failure and focus on security rather than opportunity, we are more concerned that our programs are compassionate than they are fair and successful. We guarantee failure. A false compassion may also shade the roots of socialism, which socialism would be so bad you wouldn't want You'd, you'd be willing to cut out a lot of compassion to make sure you don't follow that S word. You know, uh, a competitive people, more so than any other nation. We have been a meritocracy, and that fosters and is sold by competition. We are a people who believe that we should be free to pursue happiness, but we also find happiness in the pursuit, in pure, unfettered, joyful competition. Like United Fruit. Well, and it's such a fair competition when yeah. we send in the boats with send, guns yeah. against the. Look, we can't feed our families. People with machetes. Yeah. We're slaves down here in most of Central America. We don't want this anymore. Well, too bad. You're going to have to contend with the military now. It takes a lot of courage for us to face off with those natives when all we have are those big 15-inch guns off the coast. It takes a village. It takes a lot of courage for us to face up to them. Okay, we're free as to compete as equals in the marketplace of ideas and industry. Success in America has been a... A uh, function of ability and hard work more so than any other factor. Despite the demonization of the rich by some, my experience with the wealthy in America is that they are smarter than I am, work harder than I do, are more competitive than I am, and only sometimes are they luckier than I am. And it's also much easier for them to inherit the kingdom of heaven, I hear. Isn't that right? I was going to say, I see, I would... I would give uh, uh, most of most credit to the uh, something I just recently became aware of, the mm-hmm. Economic Stabilization Fund, which is a. Uh, it turns out it seems to be a large slush fund, where sort of shadowy figures used to withdraw and sort of do clandestine operations to help stabilize the dollar. Uh, in fact, in mm-hmm. 1976, there was a there was a really weird operation that happened in China where. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they caught a bunch of CIA guys printing uh, money, and they, you know they investigated, and it came back to this mm-hmm. economic stabilization fund. And uh, so, I mean, I would have to go with with that. So that was the good kind of counterfeiting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's, it's courageous. Our, it's our, courageous counterfeiting. It was our counterfeiters. Courageous counterfeiting. Well, let me try to wrap this up here. 
Uh, <clears throat> uh, it says, these people kept competing. The failures quit. I believe most failures result from lack of courage and unwillingness to compete. But there are some who feel they deserve more of the American dream than they, by hard work, have earned. They want equal outcome for unequal input. Many of these people want a handout. And a great danger of America is that politicians have learned that they can bribe these people. Tragically, government bribing leads to addiction. It forms a relationship between our people and our government. You know what? <clears throat> there are addictions and handouts of entitlements. I was going to say. And also addictions of handouts of government contracts. I was going to say, I totally agree. Let's, let's slash the military budget by 45% and see who. And how about screams. banker bailouts? Yeah. Get you know, bailout? and entitlements. All people, rich or, or poor, mm -hmm. who are exploiting the other people who are workers. How about mm -hmm. that? Headed across the board. Okay. I, had a, well, I, I, I had a good friend one time who told me about a co-worker who was switching jobs, and he had three months off. Yeah. And they gave him $80,000. This was all government stuff. They gave him $80,000, and uh, he said that wasn't enough to tide him over for three months. And uh, when asked why, mm -hmm. he'd just been gotten so addicted to sort of the lucrative government excess that $80,000 wasn't enough for him to, to live on. Well, that was the same experience I had of almost the same amount of money with a guy who was a military chaplain. Military chaplain really? who had about three or four months between his next job. He was going to make about that same amount of money. This is like around 2000, 2001. Mm -hmm. Okay, so a decade ago, he and just he and his wife. And they had to make it for no three or four or months on that amount of money, and they couldn't figure out how to make it for three or four months on that amount of money before the next job started. So $20,000 a month was inadequate. Yeah, something on that order. Uh, Good thing he was courageous. There's some interesting things here. It says, uh, um, he says, Gov uh, government uh, bribery quotas and other non-merit-based programs lead to socialism or worse, will destroy our competitiveness and eventually destroy America. Some of the bribing takes the form of quotas by which one person benefits because of race, gender, etc., not just ability or hard work. I finally, I believe that the key to our successful future is a strong belief in our exceptionalism. We cannot survive unless we continue to grow patriots, young people who believe in our exceptionalism, who prove their love for America by supporting and defending her. Now, does that mean that people like in other countries, they don't have that burden we have to have to be exceptional? They can just sort of focus on living life and taking care of people and not having fights with people around the world. Well, I, I think it's only us that have this burden to be exceptional. Perhaps I may be putting the words in this guy's mouth, but I think he might, uh, if I'm following his logic, he might see the rest of the world as sort of living off America's dole. Uh, that's well, that's the impression you get. Yeah, that's, yeah, I can't help but think that. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna be devil advocate here. Okay. Could he be saying that you want to create a young, set of young people that believe in American exceptionalism in order to make America exceptional? In the sense of, if you want to create a group of people that are going to make America better, going to make America. Uh, and what are uh, his definitions of what what the virtues are? Well, what, like, is it, what has he said the virtues are of America? Well, you know, he's talked about how they're giving and about how they're... Competitive. Yeah, competitive. They're very competitive. Yeah. You know, the things that you're saying. If you want to create a people that... Um, well, they're very giving, but yet he resents the people 
who would who would receive you know what's funny his description of those things about uh sort of cutting off the people who don't deserve it which you know i, I understand i you know i'm a taxpayer pay a lot of money in taxes and only half of the public pays taxes there's something wrong with the system like that obviously because the people who don't pay taxes have every incentive to increase the entitlements. Mm-hmm. There, there's, there's a flawed system. It's a lot like government contracts. Yes, it's very much like government contracts. But, um, but anyway. I wish I could get time off to get a haircut. <laughs> yeah, these, uh, these, these comments that he's making are the exact words, almost verbatim, lifted out of <coughs> the book by R.C. Christian that did the Georgia Gadstones. No, he uses the same identical arguments to R.C. Christian. About basically focusing on these virtues and cutting off people who, you know, have needs and that basically the spoils should go to the most competitive people that get up and those kind of things. It's almost sort of, sort of social Darwinism, like writ large, like an overdrive. Well, it's opposing, it says it's opposing socialism, okay? It says that. But it goes way beyond just regular socialism. No, no, yeah, this is like social Darwinism. In, you know? in, in that we really should have a system. To work well, then you don't deserve to eat. Right, right. Uh, let's finish him up here. He says, uh, he says, we want to get patriots, young people who believe in our exceptionalism, who prove their love for America. How do you prove your love for America? The uh, number of push-ups you can do. Supporting and defending her. That's what he says. So... For example, the uh, people who would point out some of the problems, like, uh, let's say, abolitionists, okay, or people for suffrage, those would not qualify for his because he was not considered supporting America as it was at status quo. By that definition, Ellsberg, you know, would be a whistleblower, would fall outside of that bounds because he's not defending the status quo of what America is at the time. How how was an abolitionist not supporting America at the time? Well, because they was challenging the status quo of what America was. America had already clearly established that uh, African Americans were not, you know, citizens. And they didn't have the rights of the Constitution, and that was an American value at the time until the abolitionist came by and said, basically, America has a problem. America as it is is wrong. And he's saying the people who do that kind of thing in America are unpatriotic. I think I think you're reading too much into that. Okay. Well, he says, what does it mean to be an American? The answer is that it means that we are part of an exceptional people, a people who have been a blessing to the world and will continue to do so as long as we remain a good people, which is what we are by our own determination. I don't know what the world decides what we are, but we have decided ourselves we are. Mm -hmm. A people of courage, of compassion, with a government dedicated to the immutable truths of the Constitution of our founders. A government that allows free and unfettered competition and a merit market uh, governed by merit, individual initiative, and hard work. Uh, Like in the Philippines circa 1900. Well, they're not exceptional. They're not Americans. Why would they need those kind of blessings? If we fail, it would be because we commit suicide. We lose our courage, become cowards. We lose our compassion, become greedy and self-centered. We lose our competitiveness, become socialist. But we will lose all of these if we lose our goodness. I, I, 
did not do America a favor by my 35 years of service. God did me a favor by allowing me to be born in the most exceptional nation on the planet. So, it must really be stink to be born in other countries. I mean, God must just not like you to be born yeah. in a place that's not exceptional. It almost, it almost sounds like, you know, uh, very much like, uh, I guess it was Howard Taft's the Secretary of War speech about why we needed to go into the Philippines in the 1900s because yeah. they were just sort of... They're savages. They were they savages needed, and all that. And that's how we baptized them with that waterboarding the water. thing, the waterboarding song. Water we cure. Water. We baptized them in American goodness. I wish I could remember the song. <laughs> that's because you you're have exceptional. have that on paper somewhere. You know, sometimes Bring you have to up. have the courage to torture people, and that's not an easy thing to do. You have to really it's believe tough. your exceptionalism to be able to do that. It's tough when you have to hold somebody down and and stab them repeatedly. Well, particularly when they're all bound up. When they're bound up, yeah. and you got four and or five of your guys in yeah, the room. The courage it takes to do like that. A sock in their mouth. Yeah. You know, something that might be interesting to y'all. Relatively recently, relatively recently, they uh, published some uh, unpublished Mark Twain works. Mm-hmm. And there's some stuff about his commentary. On Man, I just saw a quote today from Mark Twain, just yeah. like what you're talking about. That about great. going into the Philippines? Mm-hmm. No, but I didn't see it about the Philippines. And then they had that in Panama. <coughs> I believe it was Panama. Yeah, really. Yeah, he's got a great. We might uh, we might look it up and read it next yeah. show. He's got a great article called "The War Prayer," where really? uh, yeah the the whole the whole thing. I think I f- saw it on Sycamore Three there. Uh, yeah, Brother Robert's uh, little blog there. Where his whole thing was is this this small town, all the young men were going off to war, so they had a huge parade and told them they were awesome and everything. Mm-hmm. And the minister got up and said, I want you guys to go out there and, and, and slaughter the enemy because God is on your side. Mm-hmm. And uh, some guy got up in the mid- middle of it and just without sort of anybody being able to knowing what to do, sort of grabbed the mic and said, you know, uh, what's went on, what you've just prayed essentially is for destruction and death and mass casualties and rape and slaughter and killing a mm-hmm. pillage of another group of people that you've never met or seen or heard right. in right. the name of people that you don't even know, uh, but you you know you claim have somehow have our best interests in mind. Right. So before you go do before you pray that, uh, think about that. Yeah. And and then the last line of it is, and they all dismissed him because they thought he was crazy. Yeah. And it's very very interesting. He became. Yeah. Very, what we would consider a, a Futurian, almost. Yeah, he wasn't you know, worthy of being exceptional. You know, uh, I saw the quote from Mark Twain I came across today that said, uh, said uh, when your opinion starts to agree with the majority, you'd better stop and give pause. Hmm. That's well, the stuff that I, I wish d- we were reading in, yeah. in school, not Mark Twain and that, that, Tom Sawyer. Or well, Yeah, I know what you mean, the, yeah. the popular stories. Okay. Huckleberry Finn. All right, give us a story. All right, this is from the Libertarian Party of Florida. Uh, It's a press release. It says, for immediate release on the 4th of July. Libertarians call on Florida sheriffs to arrest TSA agents. Uh, This is uh, dated, uh, the the dateline is Palm Harbor, Florida. Uh, In a strongly worded email sent today to all of Florida's 67 county sheriffs, the Libertarian Party of Florida demanded the arrest of TSA agents for violating for violations of the U.S. and Florida constitutions and accused TSA agents of committing sexual battery. The letter reads as follows. Dear Sheriff, on this day in 1776, our forebears founded this nation by declaring their independence from an oppressive government. 
This beautiful and timeless document expressed the self-evident truth that all people have certain inalienable rights upon which no government can infringe. They asserted that governments are formed among men to secure these rights, not to impede or restrict them. The Libertarian Party of Florida is reaching out to you, to all of, your, all of Florida's 67 constitutional sheriffs. We, the people of the state of Florida, must turn to you as our last line of defense against a federal government that is usurping authority and ignoring the rule of law. I am referring specifically to the Transportation Security Administration and their egregious violations of the United States Constitution as well as the Florida Constitution and state law. Every single day, TSA employees conduct electronic and body se bodily searches upon tens of thousands of Florida citizens and visitors at airports and more recently at bus terminals, rail, rail stations and highways, which we've talked about here. Mm -hmm. They are searching the persons and seizing the effects of the travelers without warrant or probable cause. Uh, specifically, they are in blatant violation of the Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution, which reads as follows. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable search and seizures shall not be violated and no warrant shall issue, but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and, th and the persons or things to be seized. These TSA agents are also in clear violation of Article 1, Section 12 of the Florida Constitution, which reads as follows. Searches and seizures. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable search and seizures and against the unreasonable interception of private communications by any means shall not be violated. No warrant shall be issued except upon probable cause, support by affidavit, particularly describing the place or places to be searched, the person or persons, thing or things to be seized, the communications to be intercepted, and the nature of evidence to be obtained. In addition, one of the methods by which the TSA agents conduct these searches, referred to as the enhanced pat-down, is clearly within the definition of felony sexual battery as codified in Florida Statute 794-011. I would like to point out that this statute clearly defines that it is a first-degree felony which sexual battery is committed by a law enforcement agent in paragraph 4G, which reads, When the offender is a law enforcement officer, correctional officer, or correctional probation officer, as defined by 943.123678 or 9, who is certified under the provisions of 943-9, 1395, or is an elected official exempt from such certification by virtue of 943.253, or any other person in a position of control or authority in probation, community control, controlled release, detention, custodial, or similar setting, and such officer, official, or person is acting in such a manner as to lead the victim to a reason to reasonably believe that the offender is in a position or of control or authority as an agent or employee of the government. As sheriff, you have the absolute duty to enforce the law ultimate uniformly and without prejudice. You are, at best, engaged in selective enforcement by choosing to further ignore these flagrant violations of federal and state law. At worst, you are complicit. If you have TSA agents within your county that are violating the law, then you must act. Warn the TSA agents that they are subject to arrest if they continue to violate the law. Should they continue, then you must begin making arrests. 
We urge you to remember the oath that you took to support, protect, and defend the Constitution of both the state of Florida and the United States of America. On behalf of all Floridians, the Libertarian Party of Florida calls you to do exactly that. We turn to you, our constitutional sheriffs, to enforce the law in accordance with your sworn duty. Sincerely, Adrian Willie, Chairman. Wow. When did they get that? They got that yesterday. Fourth hmm. of July was dated. Hmm. You know, we're talking about courage. I would submit that rather than courage of being willing to attack villagers when you've got like those 15-inch naval guns yeah. them, the courage now is what the sheriff needs right now mm-hmm. to make some hard decisions that might impact his life. Are you saying he needs 15-inch naval guns? Well, I'm saying what he needs is uh, the courage that sometimes you know you can only get from God to pray about something and say, you know, there's going to be some bad stuff happen if I actually invoke this stuff. Well, it's been done and it's been done in my old stomping grounds there. The San Mateo District Attorney has said that uh, he instructed the Sheriff's Department to go down to San Francisco Airport and mm-hmm. watch the TSA agents and as soon as they engaged in an enhanced pat down, warn them that they're in violation of the law and mm-hmm. if they continue to arrest them. Is that still going on? I haven't looked. I'd be know. curious to see if they're still able to hang on to that. Yeah, well, I mean, trying to wear them down. Yeah, who knows? I know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, very interesting. So there you go. We'll see more of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I have the rest Comment? of the story. Yeah. Nothing. No. All right. This sort of goes with the story. I'm, I, I, the ones I put on the top of the stack were ones that were sort of patriotic stories. Because you know me, I'm dun, patriotic. Dun, 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 I am. Dun, 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 I, I don't think that's our song. Isn't that real Britannia? Oh, shoot. Like uh, French. <laughs> oh, that was real Britannia. I don't know what it was. It's just the first time. Or was that dun, 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 we need to like we can fire a cannon during the theme songs. That's low rider. Future quake, get a little lower. Uh, you know, we're just your typical Christian show here, aren't we? Yeah. It's like listening to Back to the Bible. Okay. here, Here's just to get into our feel-good of American exceptionalism, okay? Which I know you and I have said before that that's just another fancy word for idolatry, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, here's something to feel good. Here's uh, number one, 20 uh, categories that the United States leads the world in, Okay. And for some reason, it did not come over on my list here of the actual website. I think it's called economiccollapse.com. Mm-hmm. It's one of those feel-good websites, okay? It's an up, up economic, up. Yeah, but I think they also had it mirrored on infowars.com. Mm-hmm. It says, it's the United States number one. Many Americans take deep pride in their nation and the truth that the U.S. has a lot going for it. I think that's exceptionalism. The United States has the largest economy in the world. The U.S. also is the most powerful military on the entire planet. The United States has produced most of the greatest movies the world has ever seen. But the United States is also number one in a lot of categories that aren't so great. If we ever want to turn this country around, we need to be very honest with ourselves. We need to take a long, hard look in the mirror and realize that it is not a good thing that we are number one in divorce, drug addiction, debt, obesity, car thefts, murders, and total crimes. We also have six wars going on right now. 
Well, that too. But we have a lot of courage. That's why. Yeah, and abortions. We Fifty million abortions a year or something crazy. It's a lot of courage to, you know, do partial birth abortion on kids. Yeah, it's like 84th trimester. It's the kind of people we are. We have become a slothful, greedy, decadent nation that is exhibiting signs of advanced decay. Till we understand just how bad our problems really are, we won't be able to come up with solutions that we need. A lot of people that write articles like this have a deep hatred for America. But that is not the case with me. I love the United States. I love the American people. America is like an aging, bloated rock star that has become addicted to a dozen different drugs. America is a shadow of its former self, and it desperately needs to wake up before it plunges into oblivion. If you do not believe that America is in bad shape, just read the list below. The following are 20 not-so-good categories that the United States leads the world in. Okay? Drum roll. Number one, the United States has the highest incarceration rate in the world and the largest total prison population on the entire globe. Most of that's for drug laws, like possessing, you know, an ounce of pot or something. Number two, according to nationmaster.com, the United States has the highest percentage of obese people in the world. Number three, the United States has the highest divorce rate on the globe by a wide margin. I can believe that, yeah. That's probably, you know, I'm sure. Not immediately obvious, but yeah. Because of how exceptional we are and and God's blessing, you know, shows we're light to the world. The United States is tied with the U.K. for the most hours of television watched per person each week. Is that bad? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step on your toes there, Emmett. Uh, The United States has the highest rate of illegal drug use on the entire planet. That's because we have the most illegal drugs. Right, and the you most know, laws, right? Yeah, the most laws. In other words, we have illegal. laws to make them yeah. illegal, so therefore, yeah. You know what, uh, the previous one about the TV watching, you mm-hmm. know what You know what I find interesting? Because I watch almost no TV. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even, I mean, I own a TV, but it sits in the back room and it's yeah. covered with dust and you're it's got a, a ball bag. You're just a total savage. Yeah, I, well, I run around my house with a loincloth on. Mm-hmm, yeah. Other than that. But i got a Bible in my hand, mm-hmm. so. But it, anyway, the point I was going to make is, like, if I'm not watching any TV at all, there's somebody over there, statistically, who's watching like 10 Double. hours a day. Yeah. 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 Is there something wrong with that? <laughs> you know, when you think we got all this great stuff like Jersey Shore and all the stuff yeah. on Bravo what's, Network. What's Snooky doing? Yeah, exactly. I mean. You know who Snooky is. I don't have a. Who is Snooky? It's isn't it a, isn't it like I'm, a I'm just impressed you had that reference in there. You know, I've heard people talk about him. We so. were trying to set Mike up, you know, set him up for somebody out there. Snooky would be an ideal person that would fit just your personality profile. Really? Yeah. So I guess it's a she. I, I sort yeah, of, she's a she. I, yeah. I, That's a start. I thought <laughs> I, I didn't know what this. Well, yeah. I mean, I thought Snooky. Snooky is sort of like a guy's name, you know, like a. I don't know of any sex people named Snooky, to be honest with oh, you. I, I, I would have picked Snooky. Alien. I know. His, his nickname was Snooky. I never knew his real name, but he, uh-huh. had, he had a little Can we get back to our list of American bestness? Okay, here. Okay. Um, there are more car thefts in the United States each year than anywhere else in the world so far. Even more in Poland? Evidently. There are more reported rapes in the U.S. each year than anywhere in the world. There are more reported murders in the United States each year than anywhere else in the world. Hmm. This is all the signs of a Christian nation, isn't it? I mean, how else could we prove we're a Christian nation? Um, there are more total crimes in the U.S. each year than anywhere else in the world. 
Number 10, the U.S. also has more police officers than anywhere else in the world. You know, you're also eight times more likely to get shot by a police officer than killed by a terrorist. Mm-hmm. We should have a war on police officers then, it seems like. That's because police officers are here, terrorists are not. <sighs> no. Really? No. You're kidding me. I don't know. Next thing you're going to tell me that these guys with box cutters aren't the main enemies that we have in the U.S. Well, I mean, unless you count getting, you know, the statistical probability of getting shot, you would think that. Yeah. Well, the U.S. spends more on health care as a percentage of GDP than any other nation on the face of the earth. The U.S. has more people. so heavy. Well, the U.S. has more people on pharmaceutical drugs than any other country on the planet. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Americans have more student loan debt than anywhere in the world. More pornography is created in the United States than anywhere else in the entire globe. 89% is made in the USA and only 11% in the rest of the world. Wow. See, and that's how we're a blessing to the rest of the world as we provide. Pornography. Well, that's our output, yeah, to the rest of the world as a Christian nation. Okay. The United States has the largest trade deficit in the world every single year. Between December 2000 and December 2010, the U.S. ran a total trade deficit of $6.1 trillion with the rest of the world, and the U.S. has had a negative trade balance every year since 1976. The Number 17, the U.S. spends seven times more on the military than any other nation on the planet. In fact, U.S. military spending is greater than the military spending of China, Russia, Japan, India, and the rest of NATO combined. Hmm. And that goes in with our courage. We had the courage to be willing to spend that kind to of money. spend that kind like of that. cash. We had the military too. guy, which our, our, our philosophical leaders of our country are always military men. You know, that's when every when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm-hmm. You know, military solution. Number are 18. you saying MC Hammer's the philosophical leader? Uh, well, I was thinking more vanilla ice. Oh. Number 18, the United States has far more military uh, foreign military bases than any other country. You know, he's a Scientologist. Who? Vanilla Ice. I, he has a show on cable TV where he renovates homes. Really? He's yeah, a and he seems really nice. Yeah. Number 19, the United do, States do, has do, the most do, complicated do, tax system do, in the entire do, world. Do, 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 do. Number 20, the United States has accumulated the biggest national debt that the world has ever seen and is rapidly getting worse. Right now, the U.S. debt is expanding at a rate of $40,000 a second. The truth is in America's changed. Most of us don't even say hello to our neighbors anymore. In fact, we've become so self-involved that many of us don't even notice when someone around us dies. You know, it's true. I don't know my neighbors. But my neighbors are half mile, three-quarters of a mile down the road. So. Yeah. Well, then you guess you're just self-absorbed then. Yeah. When I see my neighbors, I look away. Do you really? Yeah. Why are they, like, naturalists or something, or what? Communists. No, they're normal. No. Okay. Just keep to yourself. That's right. Well, I'm a, I'm afraid that I'll I can't get into my job, but I'm afraid I might have to use my job sometimes. So I just uh, try to. Oh. Yeah. Mm. That Tennessee hospitality. Okay, you got a story for us? Yeah. Um, Tashiso. Well, gosh, there's so many here. Um, here's a here's a real real quick one, and maybe we'll get into a longer one. Um, India. Cars for sterilization. This comes from the BBC, and I just brought a few lines. Just to, you know, mm-hmm. that's really all you need. Health officials in the Indian state of Rajas, 
Rajasthan are launching a new campaign to try uh, uh, to reduce the high population growth in the area. They are encouraging men and women to volunteer for sterilization and in return are offering a car and other prizes for those who come forward to be sterilized. Among the rewards on offer is the Indian-made Tata, Tata Nano, the world's cheapest car. So Yeah, I'm familiar with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so that's kind of what they're doing there. You know, it's like a game show almost. Yeah. You know, kind of get show up, get uh, sterilized for like... <laughs> Bob Barker's there. Spin the wheel! What did you win? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So... <laughs> The cynical part, he says that's a really good idea. <laughs> there was just a pregnant pause there. I was going to say, like, like, for yourself or what? Well, you're like, well, I'm going to take part in that game show. I mean, well, I could just think of how many people would participate in that just because of the, you know, you could, you know, talk about the benefits of not having children and talk about it, you know, very rationally and very yeah. intelligently. Yeah. And they're not going to buy it, but you say, I'll give you a car, and they're going to jump on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, castration, whatever it would be, they would do for a, for a car. In fact, they would be willing to do it to other people mm-hmm. for a car. You know, that's the next level. It's kind of like a state lottery. You know, you tell people, yeah. you know, we're going to... Basically, we're going to put an extra tax on you because, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to take most of your money and maybe give you a couple dollars back. Because mm-hmm. we're but, generous. But one time, you're going to get 50 bucks. They're going to jump on it. Yeah. 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 Maybe, yeah. maybe the Well, look next at all those check exchange places, you know, where you... Charge like 50% Right, or right. People buy that. They'll buy any of this. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe the next level is to have like a sterilization thing where like the contest is you go out and sterilize somebody else unknowingly you know because they were doing that for a little while mm-hmm. in india sort of like candid camera where they sneak up on people yeah like that's another guy's eating lunch and all of a mm-hmm. sudden hold him down and stab surprise him. hey but it's okay yeah. we needed to do this to win the tata nano it could be like a, a america <laughs> <laughs> it could be america's funniest sterilization videos yeah and people could send in their own videos okay all right can, can we get to something serious well, I was going to... Uh, okay, was, we'll go to some. Okay. Jump in so, it. So, uh, this is Toshiso Kosaka. Come the harvest season in the fall, there will be chaos. Uh, now this, is this like Japan or something? Yeah, I don't know what, Japan. You, what yep. that means. Now, a couple things you have to keep in mind that uh, some of our Futurian listeners may know, some may not, is that rice has almost like a religious significance uh, throughout most of Asia. Um but what most people don't know is that Japanese people are particularly intense about their rice. To the Japanese populace, it's it's not even edible unless it's rice from Japan. Right? Mm. So uh, in order to avoid international trade sanctions, Japan actually imports millions and millions of tons of rice and just keeps them in a warehouse. They make some of it into sake and they make... They give away most of it in foreign aid and then just at the end of the year drive out into the ocean and dump it, right? Huh. Um, so uh, uh, so this rice thing, it's, it's kind of a wild card thing. So anyway, this is in the Wall Street Journal. Um, a former nuclear advisor to Japanese 
Prime Minister Naoto Kan blasted the government's handling of the crisis and predicted more revelations of radiation threats to the public in the coming months. In his first media interview since resigning his post in April in, in protest in April, uh, Toshiso Kosaka, one of the government's leading experts on radiation safety, said Mr. Khan's government has been slow to test for dangers in the sea and to fish and has understated certain radiation threats to minimize cleanup costs. Uh, as we've covered here, you know, they, mm-hmm. they raised the radiation level acceptable limit right. 16 times. Uh, in his post, Mr. Kosaka's role uh, was to advise the prime minister on radiation safety. And uh, so uh, while there have been scattered reports of food contamination such as tea and spinach, uh, Mr. Kosaka predicted there will be broader discoveries later this year, especially as rice is harvested. Uh, and he says, come the harvest season in the fall, there will be chaos. Hmm. Among the rice harvested, there will certainly be radiation contamination, though I don't know at what levels, setting off scandal after scandal. If people stop buying rice from Tohoku, uh, we'll have a very tricky problem. Hmm. Um, he goes on to say that, uh, uh, that the way the government has handled the Fukushima Daiichi, Daiichi situation uh, has exposed basic flaws in Jap- Japanese policy making. The government's decision-making mechanism is opaque. It's never clear what reasons are driving what decisions, and this doesn't look like a democratic society. Well, I mean, that's true. Mm -hmm. Everybody who runs anything goes to the same school. Mm -hmm. Um, Japan is increasingly looking like a developing nation in East Asia. And so specifically, Mr. Kasaka said the government set a relatively high ceiling uh, for acceptable radiation in schoolyards, so that only 17 schools actually exceeded the limit. If the government had set the lower ceiling he had advocated, thousands of schools would have required a full cleanup. Hmm. With Mr. Khan's ruling party struggling to gain parliamentary approval for a special budget, the cost of the air option uh, didn't get traction, he said. When taking these steps, the only concern for the current government is prolonging its own life, said hmm. uh, Mr. Kasaka. Hmm. So, it's interesting. Um, I've uh, having known some some Japanese folks and, and they're wonderful mm-hmm. people, really sweet and right. you know very uh, very in the box, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're good man, at fighting kaiju, which is those big monsters. Oh, well, I thought that was uh, Ultraman's job. Well, Science Patrol, they help with that <coughs> too. But yeah, that's true. Yeah, the tanks aren't very effective. No, they. If you're in a tank going after the kaiju, you're it's in a very short term job. Toast. Yeah, yeah. But the 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 reason I really uh, anyway, the point we have some Japanese listeners. We don't mean to make light of that. No, no. I, I, I you know what? I would love to go hang out in Japan for Me too. Uh, a brother pr- a Nathan, who listens to our show, yeah, uh, he'd be a cool guy to say yeah, hey man. to. Yeah, maybe we'll go down there sometime. Well, when somebody gives us that ten thousand dollars that we've been keeping, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that's why Emmett's here. He had a big checkbook with us. Maybe he was sent like an angel. We're entertaining an angel unawares by on a, I don't have any checks. I thought angels were taller. <laughs> Are you saying I'm short? You just believe in you angelic exceptionalism. <laughs> well, I have a history story, if you don't Sweet. like a generic history story, okay? Yeah. But it relates back to our patriotic era. Mm-hmm. Okay, but, you know, I get into that. Um, do you know much about the Pledge of Allegiance, the background to it? Uh, I know I, a little bit, and okay. I think I know what you're going to talk about. Let me just share a little bit of the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, I don't know, Emmett, how much you know about it. 
Um, it has a bunch of different versions. It started in 1892 and was changed at different times. It says the pledge of this is. I'm just reading the Wikipedia entry. Okay. Mm-hmm. The pledge of allegiance to the United States is an oath of loyalty to the national flag and to the Republic of the United States of America. Originally pro- pro- uh, composed by Francis Bellamy in 1892 and formally adopted by Congress as the National Pledge in 1942. The pledge has been modified four times since its composition, with the most recent change adding the words under God in 1954. Okay, Before then, under God was not in it. Hmm. Congressional sessions open with the recital of the pledge, as do government meetings at local levels, meetings held by the National Exchange Club, Knights of Columbus, Royal Rangers, Boy Scouts of America, Girl Scouts, Fraternal Order of Eagles, Freemasons, Lions Club, Rotary Club, Toastmasters, and their other bodies. According to the U.S. Flag Code, the Pledge of Allegiance reads, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. According to the Flag Code, the pledge should be rendered by standing at attention, facing the flag, with the right hand over the heart. That's the latest description. Members of the armed forces and veterans who are present, not in uniform, may render the military salute. Okay. Um, the Pledge of Allegiance was written in 1892 by Francis Bellamy, who was a Baptist minister and a Christian socialist, and the mm. cousin of socialist utopian novelist Edward Bellamy. Bellamy viewed his pledge as an inoculation that would provide immigrants and native-born but insufficiently patriotic Americans from the virus of radicalism and subversion. The original Pledge of Allegiance was published in the September 8th issue of the popular children's magazine, The Use Companion. As a, and that, by the way, was like the most published magazine at the time in the country. Which one? The Youth's Companion. Hmm. Sort of like the Nazi Youth Magazine, but it was for America. Uh, as part of the National Public School Celebration of Columbus Day. A celebration uh, of the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus' arrival in the Americas. The, for, uh, the event was conceived and promoted by James Upham, a marketer for the magazine, as a campaign to instill the idea of American nationalism by selling flags to public schools and magazines to students. Hmm. So the, the national, the anthem, was sort of a marketing idea to sell stuff. Sweet. Bellamy designed it to be recited. And, you know, those patriotic movements still haven't changed. Same yeah. technique. Bellamy designed it to be recited in 15 seconds. As a socialist, he had initially also considered using the words equality and fraternity, but decided against it, knowing that the state superintendents of education on his committee were against equality for women and African Americans. Wow. So our Pledge of Allegiance specifically was... Trying to exclude equality for women and African Americans. Makes you proud. Francis Bellamy and Upham had lined up the National Education Association. To, you know, that's another great organization there. To support the Youth Companion as a sponsor of the Columbus Day Observance, along with the use of the American flag. By June 29, 1892, Bellamy and Upham had arranged for Congress and President Benjamin Harrison to announce a national proclamation making the public school flag ceremony the center of the National Columbus Day celebrations. And this was issued as Presidential Proclamation 335. Subsequently, the pledge was first used in public schools on October 12, 1892. 
During Columbus Day observances, organized to coincide with the opening of the world's Columbian Exposition in Chicago. And Congress officially recognized the pledge as the official national pledge on June 22, 1942. Here's some other interesting tidbits about it. In 1940, the Supreme Court in Minersville School District versus Gobitis ruled that students in public schools, including the respondents in that case, Jehovah's Witnesses, who considered the flag salute to be idolatry, could be compelled to swear the pledge. In other words, you could make people who had a religious conviction against it, you could force them to make the pledge. Hmm. I don't know if you'd like you'd have to go over there and grab their hand and forcibly Shake hold it on their heart and move their lips to say it, but anyway. They, you had the right to do that, okay? Okay, it says a rash of mob violence and intimidation against the Jehovah's Witness followed the ruling. Did you know that? Oh, there was a big pogrom against Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, yeah. Crystal Knox. You know, you know similar, thing happened, similar thing happened in World War One, when a lot of um, uh, a lot of Mennonite and uh, Anabaptist sort of, uh, you know, everybody Quakers, those type of people, people yeah. who were uh, pacifists, yeah. uh, didn't support World War One, yeah. and they put them all in a they put them all in a prison camp in in. Uh, uh, Lawrence, I think Lawrenceburg, Kansas. Really? Yeah, and it was—it's really horrible, actually. Those deadly Mennonites that were like such a danger to people. I know they have a reputation. Yeah, there's there's one particularly sad story where a a a uh, one Russian Orthodox uh, um, uh, uh, pacifist was put in this put in this camp and for religious convictions refused yeah. to do whatever the guards were telling him to do. He says, I can't, I just can't do that. Mm-hmm. So what ended up happening is in the middle of winter, they sat him out in the courtyard and stripped him down to his waist and dumped buckets of water on him until he died. And uh, then put him in a box, uh, put a uniform on him and mailed him home mm. for, mm. for opposing opposing World War One. Well, and how exceptional we were. Mm-hmm. Well, Took a lot of courage. Yeah, that's right. On a lighter note, but related, I recently learned that there is a high school that their mascot is the, the Fighting Quakers. The Fighting Quakers. <laughs> 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 That's like one that's gone off the handle. He's just, wow. I'm going to fight everybody. Now, is there like a, a Quaker with like a gun and a sword that runs around the field when they score a touchdown or something like that? I've been told that the like the image is of a... Quaker with his fist above his head. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a common Quakers scene. Finally, flipped out around yeah. Quakers. Does this get into the okay. get into the Nazi salute that was part of the? Sorry, my grandma that's told funny. me about this when I was a kid. I was like, no way. She's yeah. like, yeah. Uh, okay. In 1943, the Supreme Court reversed the decision ruling in West Virginia State Board versus Barnett that public schools are not required to say the pledge concluding that compulsory unification of opinion violates the First Amendment. In a later opinion, the court held that students are also not required to stand for the pledge. You know, it's sort of funny to get people to pledge allegiance and you have to force them to. Like, how valid is that pledge of allegiance? It's like forcing people to convert at the end of a sword. Exactly. Or passing a law for people to live like Christians. It's like, how effective is that? You know, to to make people, we're going to make people loyal by forcing them to be loyal. Mm-hmm. You know, the beatings will continue until morale improves, you know. Um, okay, the swearing of the pledge is accompanied by a salute. 
an early version of the salute adopted in 1892 was known as the Bellamy salute. It started with the hand outstretched toward the flag, palm down, and ended with the palm up. Because of the similarity between the Bellamy salute and the Nazi salute developed later, uh, Franklin Roosevelt instituted the hand over the heart gesture as the salute to be rendered by civilians during the Pledge of Allegiance and the National Anthem instead of the Bellamy salute. I don't know if they did that during the National Anthem or not, but hmm. at least we inspired the Nazis to do something. Uh, removal of the Bellamy salute occurred on December 22nd when Congress amended, uh, amended the flag code. The addition of the words under God. Um, Louis Bowman was the first to initiate the addition of under God to the pledge. The National Society of Daughters of the American Revolution gave him an award of merit as the originator of this idea. He spent his adult life in the Chicago area and was chaplain of the Illinois Society of the Sons of the American Revolution. In 1951, the Knights of Columbus, the world's largest Catholic fraternal service organization, also began using under God in the Pledge of Allegiance. So we're talking about like about 60 years after we'd been using the Pledge of Allegiance. In New York City, in 1951, the Board of Directors of Knight Columbus adopted a resolution to amend the text of the Pledge uh, for each of their 800 fourth degree assemblies in Knights of Columbus with these words under God. Uh, and finally, the Supreme Council of the Knights of Columbus adopted it. So they were sort of leading the way and then sent copies of it to the President, Vice President, uh, and the Speaker of the House of Representatives. And uh, Holger Christian Langmack sent a letter to President Truman suggesting the inclusion of Under God. Uh, he was a Danish philosopher and education uh, educator who came to America. He was one of the originators of the prayer breakfast. I don't know if that was the same prayer breakfast that C Street uh, had, but anyway, he's a religious leader in Washington, D.C., and Truman met him along with several others to discuss the inclusion of under God and also love just before liberty and justice. Evidently, love didn't make it in the in the thing that they suggested. Um now, here's an interesting tidbit you may not know. President Eisenhower, though raised as one of Jehovah's Witnesses, did you know that? I did not know that. I had been baptized a Presbyterian just a year before. He responded enthusiastically uh, in a conversation following the service. Uh, and so he acted on it and with Reverend Charles Oakman introduced a bill. Uh, to include under God. He actually said of himself that he was the most spiritual man that he had ever met. That he himself was. Yeah. yeah. But he would have had to have met himself if it was the one he'd ever met. Well, don't ask me to work it out. I mean, I'm just telling you what he said. And, and the humblest man, yeah. too. He, yeah. I wondered if he I wondered if he was relying on God while he was in the middle of World War II having an affair on his wife, and then yeah. FDR brought him into the office and said, you got to quit this for the good of the country. Of course, FDR was having an affair on his wife, too, at the same time. Well, you know. what's good for the... Maybe that's what makes us exceptional. Yeah. Was that kind of behavior, you know? And that's, the rocket's red flare. that... Christian nation. Uh, let me just mention a few things here. Um, uh, pr requiring or promoting the pledge on the part of the government is wrong. Criticism and legal challenges on several grounds. Um, one object states that the a democratic republic built on freedom of dissent should not require citizens to pledge allegiance to it and that the First Amendment to the Constitution protects one's right to refrain from speaking or standing. 
also as a form of speech. Another objection lies in the fact that people who are most likely to criticize the pledge every day, small children in schools, cannot really give their consent or even completely understand the pledge they're taking, unless you're trying to mind control them. Um, and I'm going to. Uh, there's another legal challenge brought by the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, a, a group who believes that swearing loyalty to any power other than God, uh, and who objected to policies in public schools requiring students to swear an oath to the flag. Um, let, let me just skip. I want to give a couple more words to this. Uh, uh, to to the thing about the salute, the Bellamy salute. Okay, people can picture that. Just picture a Nazi salute where you got your arm outstretched toward the flag. That's what I have all sorts of pictures of wonderful Christian school children all doing that in big massive numbers. It looks like the Nuremberg rallies, basically. Yeah, I know. My grandma said she used to do that and then she saw some she saw some film of that happening in Germany and yeah. said that's weird. Yeah. They got uh, that from us. This is additional in- information on the Bellamy salute from Wikipedia. It says during the twenties uh, in 30s, Italian fascists and Nazis adopted salutes that were similar in form, resulting in controversy over the use of the Bellamy salute in the United States. It was officially replaced by a handover heart salute uh, in 1942. The inventor of the saluting gesture was James Upham, uh, junior partner and editor of the Youth Companion, which was this big magazine I was telling you about. Bellamy Ricard Upham, upon reading the pledge, came into the posture of the salute. In other words, as he's reading it the first time, the pledge, he just naturally goes into it. He snapped his heels together and said, Now up there is the flag. I come to salute. As I say, I pledge allegiance to my flag. I stretch out my right hand and keep it raised while I say the stirring words that follow. I think the heel clicking is something they should have kept too, you know. Yeah. Um, the Bellamy salute was first no demonstrated like in There's 1892. No um, it says that the signal of the principal, the pupils in ordered ranks, hands to the side, face the flag. Yeah, you know, I pictured those SS troops all marching, you know, in, in, in time, you know. Mm-hmm. Another signal is given. Every pupil gives the flag the military salute, right hand lifted, palm downward, to a line with the forehead and close to it. Standing still, all repeat together slowly. I pledge allegiance to my flag and to the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. At the words to my flag, the right hand is extended gracefully, palm upward, toward the flag. There you go. It's being modeled. I wish we had a camera in here. Uh, Emmett's giving it a little bit more of a grace to it. In now, see, my grandmother, said, my grandmother said when she was in school, what they did is they started with their hand over their heart. Yeah. And then they went, I pledge allegiance to the flag. And at that flag, they would all raise it into the Nazi yeah. salute. <clears throat> Inspirational, isn't it? Um, okay. Um, it says the initial civilian salute was replaced by hand on heart, followed by the extension of the arm as described by Bellamy. In the 20s, the Italian fascists adopted the Roman salute to symbolize their claim to have revitalized in Italy on the model of ancient Rome. This was quickly copied by the Nazis, creating the Nazi salute. So they got it from the Italians. Mm-hmm. Of course, we beat them all to it because we're number one. 
The similarity to that's right. The similarity to the Bellamy salute led to confusion during World War II. From 1939 until the attack on Pearl Harbor, oh, listen to this. This is very interesting. Detractors of Americans who argued against intervention in World War II, okay, the people who were going after the people dissenting for getting the war, Mm -hmm. they produced propaganda using the salute to lessen those Americans' reputations. Mm. Among the anti-interventionist Americans was aviation pioneer Charles Lindbergh. Supporters of Lindbergh's views would claim that Lindbergh did not support Adolf Hitler and that pictures of him appearing to do the Nazi salute were actually pictures of him using the Bellamy salute. In his Pulitzer Prize-winning biography, Lindbergh, author A. Scott Berg explains that interventionist propagandists would photograph Lindbergh and other isolationists using the salute from an angle that left out the American flag, so it would be indistinguishable from a Hitler salute. In order to prevent further confusion or controversy, Franklin Roosevelt instituted the hand-over-heart gesture. Um, and so uh, it says there was initially some resistance to dropping the Bellamy salute. Who do you think would resist using that Nazi-style salute? What institutions in America? Uh, I know who should res- re- yeah. resist it, but I know who didn't. The Daughters of the American Revolution, uh, amongst others, wanted to resist changing that but it died down mm. uh, from that so that's good man I just thought that was uh, very yeah. my grandma told me that when I was a kid mm-hmm. and I always thought that I always wondered about that those patriotism tests you know particularly people who don't want war and using trickery to fool people that's not something just recent is it we might do a show someday on the mighty Wurlitzer mm-hmm. which was the you know, I'm sure you're familiar with it, but right. it's, it's the propaganda techniques of, you know, the 40s through the 60s. Right. But, you know, even World War One and World War II dissenters, it'd be very, very interesting because, you know, I was raised, those people were just sort of sinners and mm-hmm. evil, uh, you know, pagan people. Yeah, not not holy and, and committed to their faith like didn't the Mennonites want, and the... Didn't want to send doughboys you know, over. The and all those folks. Well, um, we're getting late in the show. You want to do another story or you want to go right to mail? Uh, let's go mail. Go to mail. Is that okay with everybody? Yep. Carl, I need you to get in your bed over here. There we go. Okay, let's go to some mail bag. By the way, it's been great having you here with us, by the way. I've enjoyed it. been, been really neat. That may we can get Merv shoehorned in the room here. That'd we have be us cool, all yeah. in here. We have a big party. Uh, I'm going through old emails that are back from the latter end of April, okay? So we're playing catch-up slowly but surely. Um, This is from Brother Dave in Chicago, okay? He says, Doc and Tom, I was happy to have the opportunity to meet you in Fort Wayne. Both of your presentations were fantastic. Tom, I was really impressed with your work. Just as at the last day's conference a year ago, you had a passion for your topic, and that was evident. Your emotional involvement and your concern were palpable. I also noticed, uh, noticed a lot of growth in confidence and maturity over the last year. That's because this time I had my <coughs> PowerPoint in my notes. <laughs> okay. Uh, obviously, the Lord was blessing your life and your ministry enormously, and is using you as a tool for his works. Dr. Future, I sorely wish you could have had another hour or so to do justice to your topic, because you were sharing some powerful ideas. I hope you can find a way to share your presentation in its entirety sometime soon. Maybe Chris White can help you put your slides in a film format with your voiceover. Anyway, powerful stuff you both shared. You both lifted the Lord up with your talks, and we were all blessed to hear you. Thank you for your efforts at the conference and, and for all you do in your powerful ministry of Future Quake. 
I also wanted to thank you for your broadcast with Brandon House. He says, I discovered him through the Understanding the Times podcast by Jan Markell. Brandon is a frequent guest host, and he did a number of shows while Jan was ill. I listen to his podcast on occasion as well as my drive to work. He says, poor Alex Jones, I rarely have time to hear him anymore, even though I share your impressions of Alex, as you mentioned during the conference. A smart and good guy trying to do what he believes the Lord wants him to do, but perhaps in a flawed way. But who among us is perfect except for one? Well, maybe he was referring to you as the Mm -hmm. one who's perfect. He says, your brother in Christ, Dave in Chicago. Dave, thank you for emailing. Yeah, man. And this is Dr. Pam. And she says, uh, Dr. Pam in Moline, Illinois. She says, blessings, Tom Bionic and Dr. Future. She says, thank you so much for finding and sharing the remnant. Remember when you read Mm -hmm. the remnant? That that was positively received, I think. Yeah. It says, I'm a doctor of naturopathic medicine and a teacher. My practice is centered on teaching people how to be well, as opposed to selling them duffel bags full of supplements. It takes time and is by no means lucrative. Not like doing the Future Quake show in terms of the money rolling. I've been in practice and teaching for about 15 years, and I realized two things. First, perhaps 3% of the population is serious about taking on some responsibility for their wellness. And about the same number of people I teach go on to use and apply what they learn to help others. However, on days when I wondered why I hadn't taken a path more rewarding, if one bases success on numbers, I would hear, usually from a patient, that the reason that they called for an appointment was because of how much better their friend was doing after following the guidance offered in our office. Or perhaps they'd seen one of my students and been helped and wanted to continue to work with natural therapies. When I would get discouraged mulling over the comparison between our effort versus the result, a little humbling Bible reading would remind me how God is always reaching out in some amazing and mighty way to change the life of just one person Yeah. while I'm just me making my small and imperfect efforts operating with nowhere near the love and sacrifice offered by the Creator who would, who would get along just fine whether we existed or not. And yet, imperfect and small as my efforts are, they make a difference. Yeah, well, it's like uh, you know the story I shared at the beginning of the show. The dude saw that documentary and he goes, "You know what? I'm going to go out there and feed some homeless people." Mm-hmm. And and uh, uh, he's actually he's so inspired now. He I called him again. He was online looking for looking for Gideon Bibles, the little tiny mm-hmm. pocket ones. Yeah. He's like, we didn't have enough. We didn't yeah. have anyone. We went out there. We need to have Bibles. I have a camouflage Gideon Bible. Really? Yeah, that's when you don't want people to see it. Foxhole. Well, you don't want people to see it that you got yeah. a Bible. It you, just blends in. You know, the other thing that I failed, I, I neglected to mention, uh, was that uh, this guy had been reaching out to a friend of his. Yeah. And uh, that, after that whole experience, uh, the friend said, the friend asked asked him, uh, uh, was well, he was just, it's a long story, mm-hmm. but he was just, he called him not once but twice to thank him about how awesome that was and how, mm-hmm. like, you know, how moving of an experience it was to just go out and care for other people. Like yeah. That, you know? Yeah. So Better effects than any entertainment that's out there, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it really is. I know. Uh, you know, back to what she's just saying here about um, how she says, you know, the, the Lord could go on and do everything without us. He'd get along whether we existed or not, she says. Yet imperfect and small as my efforts are, they make a difference. That is a humble attitude that is a hallmark of Christians. Now, if America is a Christian nation... Shouldn't we have that kind of humility and maybe not going around telling everybody in the world we're some exceptional nation? 
No, that's not the courageous and thing to do. And telling ourselves that. That's not the courageous thing to do. The courageous thing to do is to drive a tank over their house. Well, I mean, you see where I'm coming? Yeah. It's innately, we recognize what is the proper Christ-like motive in an individual when we see that they're humble and they recognize the Lord could keep going on without us. But that's not to mean that we yeah, don't have value when we do good things. So yeah. there, there, there is a motive for us to do good things, but not because we're innately good. And that same applies with our nation. If we think our nation is innately good, it's probably not being of much use to the Lord. But if we take ourselves humbly and realize we have a lot of problems, but each one of us individually can make a commitment to try to make a difference to people in this world, then we have a chance to make a difference, but not while we're looking at ourselves arrogantly. Hmm. Um, she says, uh, so this is the second thing I realized, that those few people I'm able to reach and teach are part of the remnant, the salt of the earth, a few stones thrown in a large pond. And they in turn, and this gets back to what you were reading about, and they in turn will be an influence for good, again perhaps only with a few other people. But from God's perspective, even if it is for one person, all the effort and time would be worth it because that one person is worth it. But it won't be just one person. It will be a mathematical equivalent of three times three times three times three and so on. Which is how much, by the way? Three times three times three times what? Three. So that's four threes? Yeah. Twelve? No, that'd be Wait, eighty-one. Thank you. I'm a little slow today. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, he's working on a CPA degree. You just might want to check his spreadsheet when he's done there. I know, that was tough. It's late at night, I know. He says, I know sometimes you and Dr. Future feel a little discouraged. Uh, he's talking to you, Tom. Mm-hmm. And he says, please, no, she does. But please know that your broadcasts are providing fellowship and nourishment for the people you reach. And this fellowship and nourishment helps us provide us, those whom we reach out to, whatever small talent we've been blessed to share. One of my favorite to- folk tales is Stone Soup. Perhaps you've heard it. A poor and hungry stranger comes to a village with nothing more than an empty cooking pot. He builds a fire and sets up the pot in the middle of the village, fills it with water, and throws a stone in it. One of the villagers stops by and asks what the stranger is doing. I'm making stone soup, he says. It's delicious, but needs a little something to make it really tasty. And the villager doesn't mind giving the stranger a carrot for the soup. It's a small thing to do. Then another villager... Uh, figures he can help with a piece of celery. And so it goes. Each village is throwing in this and that until the pot is brimming with good things. And there's enough not only to feed the stranger, but to provide tasty soup for the village. Mm. I figure we're all in the stone soup business. Some of us are wise to the story. Some of us are ignorant. But curious enough to join in and toss a little something in the pot. It doesn't matter. In the end, we all get fed. And I want to thank you, Dr. Future, for throwing in the meat. It's not courageous. With gratitude and blessings to two creative spiritual soup kitchen entrepreneurs, Dr. Pam. Yeah, I thought that was a great email. Yeah, it's cool, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Stone Soup's always been one of my favorite stories. And I feel like that's sort of how Future Quake got started. Mm. I mean, all we had was a stone when we started. And pretty much all we our have guest, now. Well, our guest, our emailers, people, they're the peas oh, yeah, and no, the carrots. Oh, yeah, going with it. Yep. You know, they're the lentils. Mm-hmm. You know. I'm the, I'm the, the funk bu- on the bottom of the stone, but yeah. people still put up with me. They're the bouillon cubes, you know. This is Brother Sonny, okay, and we've heard from him before. Uh-huh. He says, Dear Doc and Tom, forgive me for playing catch-up regarding your last two shows, 255 and 256, which has been a ways back. He says, Due to the fact that when I listen to Future Quake, I like to be free of distractions so that I can listen intently, and my family and work has kept me busy the last two weeks. This is a good problem to have, actually. 
He says, again, you fellows have blown me away with your hard-hitting, right-to-the-point shows. And I just want to let you all know you're hitting them right out of the ballpark the last few months. Love it. Regarding show 255, I've been warning my Bible-believing conservative friends before I broke out of the left-right paradigm. I was in the conservative box. About Glenn Beck for years and about how he's controlled opposition puppet and even wrote an article that got published on Alex Jones' Prison Planet over a year ago. And he's even if you go look it up, prisonplanet.com. Don't trust Glenn Beck. He's bought and paid for controlled opposition. Hmm. Let's look that up. It says, a great show. He says, regarding show 256, when you all were talking about Sharia law via binding arbitration clauses. Remember we were talking about how um, this whole thing about whether two people could agree to use Sharia law. Uh-huh. The reason why they approved it is because citizens have a right to come up with their own arrangements on how they honor an agreement or contract. He says, I couldn't help but think about the TV court shows like the People's Court and Judge Judy because it's similar and that it's the same exact clause that makes TV court's judgments binding in civil matters. And I believe they're right in that. Both parties agree to use this phony cartoon set up on TV to decide it and it's binding to Mm -hmm. them. And that's something we have a right in the government to do. Just Tom was also right when he said it's just a ploy to use an unpopular minority to take our rights away. The point being is you take some people who a lot of us don't agree with their convictions on Sharia law, mm-hmm. and you use that as an opportunity to take our rights away to privately. In other words, you use that as an excuse to say, well, you can't use any kind of thing you make up yourself between well, two parties to do it. But then they can come into the church and say, okay, we have church discipline here, we agree to do. Well, no, 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 you can't do that anymore either. So what he's saying and the point you had made is you take an unpopular group like the Sharia people and they use it as a way to get rid of people being able to basically make agreements amongst each other. Uh The key thing, though, is to do it on television to make it acceptable. Well, yeah, there is a lot of validity to TV. So, I mean, we need to have, like, Sharia law court. Now, that would be interesting to see, particularly like the executions where they take the hands yeah. off or something yeah. like that. Yeah. It could be pay-per-view. Yeah. Well, believe me, my in-basket in the morning, there will be warnings about that coming next week. It's coming. Next week, there's Sharia law, and you'll be forced. We'll all be drug into it. Okay. Anyway. That's Brother Sonny. And Judge Muhammad in the People's Court. <laughs> yeah, don't take the law in your own hands. But mayor, on second thought, why not? <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is brother. This is brother Charles Bronson. I mean, you know, yeah, this is brother Paul here. He says, uh, "I fought the Sharia and the Sharia won." Okay, brother Paul says, uh, "Thank you, Mike." He says. Thank you both for your timely interview of Brandon House. I had not heard of him before, but his info presented, as well as his article in Glenn Beck's new book, is of the greatest importance, as I see a great deception beginning to take place. At our church on Sunday, there was a special service dedicated to the Master's Commission. Uh, Although there seems to be much good being done by the group of young adults, I keep hearing dominionist terminology thrown around, Mm -hmm. and I wonder if there's a certain leaders who are sympathetic towards this movement. God bless for all uh, for all you're doing. It's greatly appreciated, Paul. And uh, uh, I asked him if we can read his email. He says yes. He says this is not a personal attack on anyone in particular, and we can all, one time or another, be led astray. I, like you and Tom, have had my worldview shaken by finding shows like yours. My prayer is that any error in the church would be exposed by the light of God's word. 
I hope these people are just misguided and not wolves in sheep's clothing who have crept in without our knowing. Unfortunately, I know many who spend too much time in front of their televisions watching and reading books by so-called teachers who are constantly twisting the Word of God. I can't understand why they can't see the simplicity which is found at the cross. As far as the Master's Commission is concerned, the jury is still out on that one. Are you familiar with that group at all? Which one? The Master's Commission. No, it sounds like a something for enlisted Navy men or something. I, I don't know. I should look it up. I'm only feeling uneasy about it, and more information will be required to make a proper assessment. They just say it has some dominionistic leanings. I certainly do not want to be hypersensitive and so doing read too much into words, which I have heard so little of. Bless you, Paul. Paul, I understand that. It's good to be discerning and not overreact and get too much. Sometimes what, what does uh, Brother Chris White call it? Discernment overdrive? Mm-hmm. And you, you just get, get a little bit too much going Heresy on. Heresy Hunter has got the afterburners going on, and <laughs> he's called out the firing squad, and they arranged in a circle. And That's right, exactly. Uh, just a couple more here. We'll call her a day here. Um, okay. This is Brother Darren. Okay. Brother Darren says, uh, Hey, Dr. Future, I've written a couple times about this issue or that, commenting on a past show I just listened to, but I don't think I've written in general just to say thank you. Many of your shows are so good. I can't just say, this is the best one yet. They just keep getting better and better. One thing I've come to appreciate the most is your sense of compassion. That's becoming more and more a rare commodity these days, even in Christian circles, unfortunately. I've recently come across another podcast called The Corbett Report uh, by James Corbett. I've now listened to about 20 of his shows since I discovered it, and I think I can safely say this. The material is well-researched and his show notes are meticulous, but one thing he's missing is the spiritual context. I don't know how well researched. I don't care how well researched you are, or how self-reliant you are. If you aren't observing this world through a spiritual context, then current events just make no sense. Amen to that. And you and you also don't know the proper course of action without the spiritual, sure, uh, biblical context. He says even the power elite will someday find they're just pawns for the Antichrist. So I may keep listening to the Corbett Report, but with less gusto. Any discourse without the spiritual context will soon become wanting of relevance. And he's exactly right, it will be. And this is one thing Future Quake isn't short of. Well, thank you, brother, for that. Okay, please, 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 please keep up your awesome, amazing, edifying, invigorating, stimulating work that has been such a blessing to me and to many others. Most sincerely, Darren. He says, please share this with Tom Bionic. Every word written here was equally intended for him, too. Thanks. Sweetness. Isn't that nice? Yeah. And... uh I asked him something uh, further. He says he he elaborates the follow-up email. He says, um, he says, I believe there are many more out there who share my appreciation. Only we never take the time to let you know. For that, I'm sorry. You and Tom provide such invaluable ministry to so many, and the very least we can do is thank you. I can't tell you how many times. Actually, even just a really large check would yeah, be bad. Yeah, we want to go to Japan, folks. <coughs> we go to Future Quake in Japan. Faroe Islands. Faroe Islands, too. Faroe Islands, there. yeah. We need to do like the Japan church. First. There was a church down the street from the one I grew up on, and they ended up, uh, the, the pastor ended up on PTL with Jim and Tammy, and he was telling Whoa. them that he'd, they'd been praying for a rich man to come to the church so they could spend his money, and sure enough, uh, Colonel Sanders showed up. And the Whoa. neat thing was Colonel Sanders was sitting on the sofa next to him when he said this, so... He was hearing basically they just wanted a generic rich man to go spend his money, and you know the colonel provided the money. Hmm. So may, maybe we'll be lucky. Unfortunately, all of our futurians, for the most part, are like us, poor. Yeah. You know. 
Um, but we'll we'll take we'll take uh, encouragement if mm-hmm. if all else fails. Um, he says, I can't tell you how many times I finished listening to a show and was so thankful to God for your words of wisdom and compassion, but I wouldn't even bother to tell you. For that, I'm ashamed. Words can be so powerful. Unfortunately, we are quicker to share our negative ones than the encouraging ones. Yep. Uh, I'll try to do better in the future. I know how debilitating it can go week after week, like nobody cares. By the way, to those who have suggested things to change the show up, your show is perfect. There's nothing you need to change. Just keep doing what you're doing, Darren. I was saying that maybe new co-host, but they evidently... Well, place. apparently so, because you <laughs> got it the old one. <laughs> this is just a trial run. This yeah. is like the... the it's it, like quarterly review or something. <laughs> what, 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 what's the, uh, the the show with uh, Trump? The, oh, uh, you want to be a millionaire? No, 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 no. no. Your, Dancing with the stars? stars? You're higher, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's oh, what you I'm are. Yeah, And everybody, everybody's screaming it on the... Uh, you know, listening to us right now. Dancing with the Tell stars. Dummies, don't you know? American Idol. This is Brother Kevin. Uh, says, uh, Hi, Dr. Future, and Tom, fill in the blank bionic. He says, Let me introduce myself. I live in South Oregon and have attended Applegate Christian Fellowship for some time. Among the things I'm thankful for is a commitment to verse by verse through the Bible teaching, like our church does. Mm-hmm. My interest in Futurian topics began when I read Chuck Missler's book, Alien Encounters. I just learned of your show recently, and I'm already hooked. I find the material you cover intellectually stimulating and challenging, always provocative, and most importantly, edifying for me as a Christian. Listening to your show is definitely changing the way I view many things in the world. I could go on and on, but I just want to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. I've been listening via your podcast, always checking out the most recent episodes when they come out, and working my way backwards through the archives while I'm waiting for the next episode. Most recently, I started listening to your uh, January 21st episode where Tom kicked off the news with an article asserting that medical students in Greece were wrongly diagnosing appendicitis for the purpose of getting extra hours of experience with a scalpel. Mm-hmm. The, the article went on to talk about the false claims of the pharmaceutical industry, which, you know, somebody quit over us for that. Yeah. And we lost somebody because of you. Um, Probably a lot of people because of <laughs> I'm not sure how much of this sort of topic you have covered in the past, but you were just scratching the surface. Have you seen the movie The Beautiful Truth? It's a documentary about a cure for cancer, an actual cure discovered in the early 1900s. You can stream this movie through Netflix if you have it. Is that probably about Laetrile, like B-17? I don't know. I bet you it is. Yeah. Which Wouldn't it interest, you know, G. Everett Griffin really pushes that, how we saw the Laetrile that the guy had in the Watchmen movie. Remember Molech? That was the oh, it was yeah, a medicine. He was yeah, yeah, to try to get better, and it was supposed to be illegal. Um, uh, so anyway, uh, he says a, a company called Monsanto, I think, is involved in genetically modifying crops, uh, patenting and threatening and suing old-fashioned farmers, even working on engineering a Terminator gene in crops. Uh, which would make the seeds only good for one crop. Yeah, well, we we covered that actually quite we've, a while ago. We've talked, with, uh, yeah. Jeffrey Smith. I don't recall the episode. That's, number. that's right. But look at our archive, Jeffrey yeah. Smith. Uh, seeds of deception, I believe. He I says, still I, get emails from him. He's still out there rolling. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, good. That's because he's doing a good thing. Yeah. He says, "Thank you for your time. May God give you wisdom, discernment, blessings, and protection." And uh, okay, let's say one more. One okay. more, and we'll call it a day. This is. I'm trying to. Slowly, like a few days at a time, get us caught up to the present here. This is this is Brother Norm, okay? Brother Norm, I hear from occasionally. Um, Brother Norm, actually, we we'd heard from him not too long ago, 
But he responded back letting him know where he's from. He's listening from the Philippines. Okay? Sweet. Brother Norm says, uh, but as far as any info on my end, he says, I'm here in the Philippines, referred to as the Peens hereafter. And I'm not aware of much that goes on. Fortunately, they're still open to the good news here. North of the Metro Manila area here in Luzon, Filipinos have hybridized the animism of their ancestors with Roman Catholicism and celebrate it shamelessly in the streets. Mm. There's probably a big chance that I know much less than I think I do, but it seems to me that it convicts the Roman Catholic Church even more than it does the animistic cults, simply by giving up so much during the early Middle Ages, all in the name of church growth. I wanted to include you a YouTube video about the penitents here, who whip themselves, but DSL is the main method of Internet service, and it's very slow. Yeah, I've heard about that, seen some of that stuff. It's intense. Well, he, he was sending this around Easter time, and so I had asked him in an email. I said, you weren't one of the Filipinos who na- nailed themselves to the cross this past weekend, were you? I didn't know if that was Norm up there, you know, where they get that cross <laughs> nailing. Yeah. He says, nope. He says, I'm not Filipino in the first place, but I think you probably knew that already. He says, I don't want to get hung up in that kind of activity. Huh. Get it hung yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, he he goes on to some other things here. It would be interesting to see what he had to say about a, a thing called banga nut. It's a uh, uh, it's Filipino sleep paralysis. Uh, related banga nut? To, yeah, related to suns and uh, a few other a few other ins and outs. Well, you know, uh, I was talking about in Africa. They're talking about a future quake spinoff. We could have mm-hmm. banga nut quake. Yeah, in that area. Yeah, <laughs> there's no telling there'll be ones we like. We have to get some Zambian drums going for yeah. the for the for a new theme song. In some areas you'll be. Yeah. Quake. <laughs> Are you trying to alienate future listeners with that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I meant just, that in I think a positive you just told way. You needed to legalize the <laughs> square root of raspberry. I hope not. Yeah. Well, that's enough damage for a week. If we still have anybody listening out there. Um, any final words from anybody? This was Bef- a very weird show. Before you do that, let's uh, bring in Merv, who can tell our listeners how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, so why did you think it was a weird show? I don't know. We spent a lot of time on that first article. and Was that bad? No, I just it was it was we spent a, more time than usual. Well, I, it was a participatory article. It wasn't just a read one. It was a discuss and look at. I'm not saying it was good or bad. I'm just saying it was a very weird future quake. Just a weird future quake. Yeah. Okay. Any any legacy of it? You think? It'll probably make us all very wealthy. Well, that's good. Then that meant it was a good one then. <laughs> Emmett, any last words? Uh, I don't mean this like you're banished for forever, but I mean anything until you grace us again. Well, one thing that I think that you guys need to do, yeah. and I listen to NPR, so I'll just, NPR. You, guys, you guys need to do what they're doing on NPR now. They have somebody go on there occasionally that goes, 
I tell stories about this, and they'll, they'll name some like obscure topic. Like, I cover glasses cases. That's all I do. People spend lots of money to pay me to do talk about glasses cases. The other news sources, they're not doing it anymore. That's why your money pays for me to cover glasses cases. You guys need to do that. Okay. Well, maybe you could be our NPR-like correspondent, maybe. You could come up with some stories like that. On glasses cases. You just you just have to have that NPR voice. Yes. Yes. You know, we have had listeners that have written in that said you need to be more like Terry Gross. No, that's just you saying that. You're the always. No, the no, there was at least one. That no, said you're that. just bringing that up. Well, I think we. I, I could name the. I could name the the, the episode too, but I'll. I think we've it. had it. I just wanted to have a uh, some uh, patriotic ones this week. I thought with the with the fourth that hopefully people feeling much better about themselves now. That's what it's all yeah, about. A future I mean, quake. Yeah, sort of stimulating the sounds of war. People patting themselves on the back. Yeah, Good stimulating Christian the sounds American. of war in the neighborhood and. Then you know, going to bed. Yeah. Yeah. Two weeks. Hopefully, we'll be seeing a lot of Futurians. Sounds mm-hmm. like they're going to be there. Yep. And uh, hopefully, my talks will be done. Yeah. Oh, I know they're nothing done. like waiting for the last minute. They got to be in the can already. Uh, any news in the world that we should be on the lookout for happening now? False flag terrorism. Yeah. Well, what's new there? You know. It's coming. Well, Emmett, thanks for joining us. Come back anytime. Okay. And uh, we're going to close. People have been emailing us saying that we need to be a little bit more upbeat. You know, we don't get so down in the mouth. So try to up the atmosphere. So since, uh, as I mentioned to you guys before we started, uh, there's been a renewed interest in the, uh, uh, like, Narnia books and in uh, the Lord of the Rings stuff. And uh, people really gets into the deep spiritual messages of a Tolkien. And now I guess the... uh, the Hobbit book is coming back. So we're going to close instead of our regular closing music and have something that should be some really inspirational music for people, something deep spiritual music. This is The Legend of Bilbo Baggins by uh, Leonard Nimoy. I was going to say, unless unless a Star Trek character is singing that, I don't want to hear Yeah. Him. We hope you all enjoy it and are really inspired by it. And until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. In the middle of the earth, in the land of Shire, it's a brave little hobbit whom we all admire. With his long wooden pipe, fuzzy woolly toes, he lives in a hobbit hole and everybody knows him. Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, it's only three feet tall. Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, the bravest little hobbit of them all. It's a peace-loving folks, you know. They're never in a hurry and they take things slow. They don't like to travel away from home. They just like to eat and be left alone. But one day Bilbo was asked to go on a big adventure to the caves below to help some dwarves get back their gold that was stolen by a dragon in the days of old Bilbo. Bilbo Baggins, only three feet tall. Well, he fought with the goblins, he battled a troll, he riddled with Gollum, a magic ring he stole. He was chased by wolves, lost in the forest, escaped in a barrel from the elf king's halls. Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, the bravest little hobbit of them all.
the land of Shire, that brave little hobbit whom we all admire, just sitting on a treasure of silver and gold, puffing on his pipe in his hobbit, ho, ho, Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, he's only three feet tall, Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, the bravest little hobbit of them all. 